Hey guys, brand new podcast, and I just want to let you know that I'm going to be putting more focus into this podcast. I've been reaching out to people that I uh, that I want to talk to that may not be comics. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to take this podcast a little bit to the next level. We're also adding, and this week will be the first one. We don't know what day it'll drop, but we're adding a solo podcast to this podcast where I will just talk by myself. Um, that is ma- basically I'll be going through everything I googled throughout the week. And kind of looking to jump off into stories about my life so that I can help write material for my next hour. Um, I know Bill says it's super useful. Dalia, I just talked to him yesterday. By the way, he'll be coming on the podcast. New episodes of Something's Burning is coming out from ATC. Um, but, but yeah, so that's what's going on with the podcast. I'm here with Leanne. We're fighting today. We've been with each other a lot. It's been uh, too much. We've been around each other a lot. And all I'm looking down the barrel of is the girls going to high school and then this is our lives. Yeah. Except you'll still be traveling. That'll be the saving grace. A lot. I may need you to go on the road. Probably. I just emailed her about going to Europe for two weeks and she started to reply and stopped. And I was like, oh, she's pissed at me. How do you know I started to reply? Because I watched the bubble appear. And I, I read it, it, but that doesn't no, mean... And then you started to no, reply. But just, you started no, to reply. No, just, it just means that See, I read this is, it. This is what it's been like in our Hamp family. Because you assumed something and that's I'm incorrect. And I'm still sick. I'm still sick. Leanne is done with her sickness. I'm not done do you see? She's just, everything's no. Because, no because. You know why is no because? Because you put words in my mouth and you make assumptions based on no fact whatsoever. And hey, I don't function well like that. Uh, <coughs> I'm running the LA Marathon this week. Are we? Do you want us to come like cheer you on or something? And you, you keep doing that shit constantly. My family doesn't care about if me. If my wife the was running the LA Marathon, I would have already planned out. There is a party on Sunday I, for after, you. Yeah, I'm Ubering to the marathon and then Ubering home from the marathon. I'm happy to take you and drop you off at the marathon, but you've told me no. I've t- said we we're going to go watch it, and you told me no, we can't get to it. It's martyr man. So it's been a good two weeks here. We've all been sick. We're at the tail end of it. Oh, now she's fake coughing. Just so that everyone knows she's Get still sick. Get me out of this read. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> All right, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Four Hems, a new wellness brand for men. 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. Tom Segura is 37, and it is too late for him. It's too late for him because he didn't see the train coming down the track, and he thought, eh, I'll, I'll figure it out later. Maybe I, I don't want to go to a doctor. I don't want to have an awkward conversation with a doctor. I did. I, I did it at 22, and I started taking Rogaine, and I started Minoxidil, which Four Hems has, and I still have hair. I still have a beautiful head of hair. When you watch my special coming out on Netflix very shortly, you're going to say to yourself, God damn it. He looks good. He has a lot of hair. He has a lot of fucking hair. Maybe not on his head, but. <laughs> How you feel a year from now? You want it to be business as usual. Baldness is now just an option. Four Hems is one-stop shopping for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, all for men. They connect you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. Well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. No snake oil bullshit. No red band gas station boner pills. Prescriptions that are solutions-backed by science. You don't have to go to a waiting room. You don't have to sit with a doctor and tell them, I want to fuck like a, like a fucking, like a, a fucker. No, not like a fucker. I want to fuck like a motherfucker Brazilian on Mardi Gras. Wow. On Mardi Gras. I think they do Mardi Gras. Is that what I went for? 
I think it's Carnival. Carnival. I want to fuck like a Brazilian on Carnival on the beach. And I'm, but I'm just going to Omaha. And I was wondering, can you? No, you don't have to worry about any of that shit. This is so easy. All you got to do is go online. Doctor's going to ask you a few questions. You answer them. Doctor will review it and he'll prescribe it to you. Products are shipped directly to your door. And that, let me tell you something. I did that with all my medication. And now it's so nice to have all my hair loss medication just shipped to me. I'm not sitting there going, God damn it. It's 10 o'clock at night and I'm out of freaking minoxidil. I got to go run to fucking ride it. It is drip set shipped directly to your door. My listeners right now order now because my listeners right now get a free trial month of hymns for just $5 today right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to forhims.com slash BurtCast. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash BurtCast. Forhims.com slash BurtCast. Don't be like Tom Segura. Keep your hair. I, I'm certain that sexual problems will arise with him and Christina, and he will not, that you know by his behaviors, he doesn't care to get in front of the train. Me and my wife. Well, he will likes m- it from behind? Uh, 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 uh. Ooh, she is fucking salty this Was week. Was that a Leantic? That's a Leantic. <laughs> Uh, just real quick, I got to tell you this. Um, the Burtcast is now on Spotify. So it's available on Spotify. Spotify is making it easier for you to stream this podcast and many others on your mobile device. Just like Leantics. Wah, wah. Yeah, like Leanne's podcast, Wife of the Party. Uh, they make it easier for you to stream like this on your mobile device, desktop app, or smart speaker. Open the app on your mobile or desktop, click on the browse channel, and then click on podcast section. Take us with you wherever you go on Spotify. It's super easy. Go check it out on Spotify. And I also got to mention, like if you're not into Spotify, my buddy Ned uh, over at Laughable has a fantastic app. Um, If you haven't already, go to the Laughable app. It's called Laughable. It's super easy. You can actually do it through Siri. You can go, hey, Siri, download Laughable. And it literally takes, oh, shit, it just downloaded it. Looking for Laughable and look up literally takes, oh, shit, just. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Oh, oh, I just said, oh, shit, she just. Um, It takes five seconds. It's the best rated top. It's the best rated podcast app for the iPhone by far. And you can search me. You can search uh, Tom Skura's and Christina Pajinski's Your Mom's House. You can obviously Rogan. What's really great is like, say, uh, if you you like the podcast I do today with James Michael, uh, you can find him on his podcast there. You can find him on any other podcast he's been on. And you can and, and and that's it. That's what's great about this app. That is a really great feature. Yeah, it's not just about comedy. It's just about, it's about podcasting. Yeah. So if you like someone, you can find them as a host or a guest. It's not just comedy. It's thousands of non-comedy shows. So you should be doing all your podcasts there. So once again, tell Siri, hey, Siri, download Laughable. Give it a try. You'll never go back to using whatever app you're currently losing. If you already have been using Laughable... Tell your fucking friends. Tell them to download it. Mention it. You know that that's how podcasting got big is word of mouth. Well, let's help these apps that support podcasting. Let's help them get big. Spread the word. Laughable is the best podcast app out there. And it's not just for comedy, but for all podcast listening. And if you have an Android, uh, sign up to be notified when Laughable has the app ready for you at laughable.com. Ned, you know I love you. (coughs) 
<coughs> this podcast is all too brought to you by Georgia's Great Night Sleep. Yes, she loves it. Thank you, Lisa Mattresses. Yes, Lisa uh, sent us a, a mattress and a pillow and a pillow for you. That's the the. That's the I pillow. saw that fucking pillow that and I was like, "Pillow rock." She loves the mattress, but she really loves that pillow. Um, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, Lisa donates one mattress to a shelter for every 10 they sell through their 110 program. That's great. Over 22,000 mattresses have been donated That's so amazing. far. That's really, you know, you forget that it without a good night's sleep, the day sucks. Yeah. And so to send fantastic, dude, it's the same night's sleep my daughter's getting. Yeah. To give that to 22,000 people. Probably some people are doubling up, so maybe 42,000 people. Maybe could be 44, because 22 times 2 is 40. Lisa also plants one tree for every mattress sold and donates 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. Available online or at Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York, and Virginia Beach. Those are two odd places to have yeah. companies. I'm well, sure Soho's they're... not. <laughs> but Soho Beach, or, 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 Virginia or Virginia Beach. Beach. Virginia Beach is a little odd. American-made mattresses ship in compressed boxes to your door. Try the mattress in your home for 100 nights risk-free with free shipping always. You can now try before you buy at over 80 West Elm store na nationwide. What? At over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. nationwide. There you go. At over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. Lisa's go. patented universal adapted feel is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers. Two inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability. By the way, I could use that. I'm sweating my ass off in bed lately. Are you? Yes. I'm waking up every night soaking fucking I wet. think that's called the flu. Two inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief. Oh, I might be sleeping in Georgia's bed while she's in her, New York. Her bed is really crazy comfortable. Six inch dense core foam for durability and structure for fleet sleepers of all sizes. B Corp certified Shopify build a business winner. Forbes 20 startup to watch internet retail is faster growing retail in 2015. Forbes next billion startup in 2017. These motherfuckers are hitting it out of the goddamn park. It's available in the US, UK, Canada, and Germany. Sorry, Norway, you can suck it. Lisa is continuing to expand its offers to include the Lisa pillow, blankets, sheets, foundation, and frame, all available online with free shipping. Here's what you do to get one. Go to lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com, slash BurtCast4. Are you ready for this jaw dropper? What? $100 off a Lisa mattress. Whoa. And they're really reasonably priced to start with. That's lisa.com slash BurtCast for $100 off the Lisa mattress. And when we bought ours, we got um, the pillow for free. I don't know if they saw that promotion, but <laughs> that pillow is worth it. If you're going to get the mattress, get the pillow too. I appreciate you guys listening to these reads for advertisings. Obviously, this keeps the podcast going, and, and it, it is one of the reasons I focus so hard on it, and I'm driving so hard on it. Uh, and, and they've changed our lives, these these companies that have integrated. For Hims, obviously, is a company that I use. And Lisa Mattress we use. Lisa Mattress we use. Laughable we use. Laughable we use that app. I do use Spotify. This one. Easily. Yep. Squarespace. Yep. Uh, Leanne, talk to us about Squarespace. Squarespace is awesome. I just got a compliment actually this week from a listener <laughs> about our Squarespace 
website and we how had good a, it was. We had a website and Leanne went in and changed it on her own, did it all by herself. Leanne is not technologically advanced. No. And she created this website that literally changed our business. Changed our business top to bottom. It increased our sales. It increased my ticket sales. It increased everything because it was so easy to use. Yeah. It's easy to use because it's easy to put together. That's right. It's just easy across the board. Yeah. So everything works easy for... That's all you want... Is someone not to get confused? It's just super intuitive. Yeah, it's a really intuitive site. You can turn your cool ideas into a website right now. Showcase your work, your blog, your vlog, your any content you want to put out. You can sell products and you can and your services of all kind. Promote your physical or online business. Announce upcoming events, special projects. We do all of this. You can make a wedding website. You can make a sports uh, team website. You can make a grade level website for your kids' grade. It's beautiful templates created by world class designers. Powerful e commerce functionality. And by the way, we'll be we will be accessing and using Squarespace when when our challenge coins are ready. That's what they're called. Yes. It's called a challenge coin. We've just sent in the design. We're getting a thousand made. We're just going to make a thousand of these. But okay? please, please hold off on your emails. Bert will announce how to get one when they're ready. And so this is also going to take hold a minute of us figuring out the square. It, so easy, it can't. It, we, we know it can be done. So, like oh, in yeah. the past, I would be like, I don't know. It seems too complicated. But when I said to Leanne, be. I was like, I want to do this. She goes, Oh, Squarespace has got a thing for that. Yeah, Squarespace is so freaking easy. If you need a website, just do it yourself. Do it through Squarespace. If you've got a business, a website, Squarespace, keep dreaming, make it a reality. Here's the deal. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code BERTCAST to save 10% off your first purchase with, of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. Enter the code BERTCAST. You heard me. Squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code BERTCAST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. All you real estate bokers, gamers, consultants, healthcare people, writers, bloggers, photographers, designers, jewelry designers, instrument makers, label makers, producers, food producers, wedding professionals, architects, galleries, Squarespace, make it a reality. Nice. How much time is that, Halston? Fifteen minutes, guys. That's not bad. It. That's it's not, not bad, bad at all, guys. No. Yeah, I got tour dates coming up. I'm in Grand Rapids this weekend. I'm in uh, Sacramento the weekend after that. And that's all I really want to say to you. Uh, are you better, Lee? You feel better, Leanne? I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel better? You woke up rough this morning. No, I didn't wake up rough. I, when I yelled for you. Yeah. You came in hot. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I asked you to scratch my back, you went. Oh, because I was in the middle of doing like 80 other things. And I ran out of time to, not because I was scratching your back, but because of other things, I ran out of time to work she out. To and podcast. I got really frustrated. Shit on her now. Tear her down right now. Who are you talking about? You know who I'm talking about. The person that unplugged oh, her thing. Yeah. Some, yeah. I was really frustrated with uh, outside circumstances that were preventing me from um hitting my my 21 day fixed goal leanne looks good she's down to 125 she looks fucking hot oh thanks i'm at 128 la marathon you're 128 not 128 you're super skinny uh la marathon this weekend yes i've done no training uh i but now to put that in perspective i do run and now everyone see 
here's the beauty of this is that everyone says you don't run Bert. That's what everyone says. You actually don't run. So then, yeah, no training. I don't run. I've done whatever I normally do to keep myself in shape. Uh, I think it's a lot. I think it's more than uh, anyone that criticizes me, including uh, fucking Segura and Ari, who think I'm horribly out of shape. I do much more physical activity than they ever do. So I'm just going to put it, I'm going to I'm gonna put the pedal to the metal and do the marathon. Awesome. This weekend, uh, LA Marathon. Uh, my goal is five hours. Okay. But if I don't do five hours, if I do 550, if I do under six hours and 45 minutes, I'm a winner. Because they said I couldn't beat Ari's dad who finished at six hours and 45 minutes. Ah. By the way, it, it's a brisk walk. And on the street, it actually is a lot harder than you think. Oh, yeah. But uh, but I'm going to jog it at uh, like 11.23 is my pace. I showed Leanne what my pace looked like. And it looks doable. Yeah, it Maybe looks a little okay. faster on downhills, slower on uphills. Yeah. It's a thinking man's race. I don't think I haven't read every website I need to know about the Los Angeles Marathon. It's a thinking, thinking man's, man's race. race. First half a mile uphill, then next three miles downhill, and then it's uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill, with the last four miles downhill coming into Santa Monica and any at the Santa Monica Pier. Nice. Yep. St- running from the stadium to the sea. So keep uh, keep posted on my in my Instagram. I will be partying hard as fucking Grand Rapids Friday night, and then yeah, because that's what I do. That's smart. It's what's fucking micro beer capital of the world. Okay. I'm gonna definitely go to foundries. Totally. Founders. Sounds good. Good plan. Do you see what she's doing? I hope you hear this. I hope you hear this. Well, if you're running a marathon two days later, I think that might not be a big brain move. That might be a little short strand DNA. Nope. It's long strand DNA. Uh, short long strand. Long strand DNA, uh, and it's my Mickey Mantle jeans. Short strand. Mm-mm. Today's podcast, I hope you like. We're going to do more like this in the future. Um, I got a shitty comment from someone one time the, recently online, and he's like, bro. Uh, doesn't just have to be comics that you grew up with in the business talking about uh, just comedy. You can have other people on. And uh, and I was like, what a fucking dickhead. And then I was like, part of me was like, yeah, I guess I can I could branch out. I am interested in lots of shit. I wouldn't mind have a pro golfer on. I would love to talk to a pro golfer. And this guy came very naturally to me. Uh, Halston, as everyone knows, is sits behind me when we do the podcast, does the levels and does the recordings and edits them and posts them. And... Uh, he came to me and Leanne the other, like uh, probably a month, two months ago, and he was like, hey, just so you know, um, I don't have to work at Domino's anymore. I am starting another podcast, and I'm, 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 I'm living in L.A., and I am, I'm living the dream. I'm making money by being creative. And we were so fucking happy for him, and he was like, and we're like, who? And he's like, this guy, he's like my mentor, I met him, and he's like a music producer and a rock star, and... And he told us, and we were like, that's fucking awesome. And then I said to Halston, I was like, dude, you got him on the podcast. We'll promote his podcast, because he was starting a podcast. That's what Halston was doing for him. So Halston lined it up, and uh, and it was a fucking fi- fantastic podcast. And because of this, I'm going to do more like this. I hope you enjoy it. Um, his name's James Michael. He was moved out to LA in the 80s. He's a musician. He made his bones by songwriting and making money off publishing for songwriting and we talk about that it's a really interesting part of the business we we kind of correlate the differences between stand-up comedy and being a musician and being a writer and we talk about thievery and how there's thievery in both sides we talk about confronting thievery and lawsuits and 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 we talk about 
uh, then him transitioning into a, being coming a rock star at like 40. He was doing, he'll tell his story, but just so you know, he wrote a really popular song uh, for Saliva called Rest in Pieces. And that was kind of gave him his leapfrog. I'm just so you put perspective of who, who I'm having on today and you can start listening and go, oh, okay, I don't, I can put the pieces together. Huh, and the interesting little, um, but he wrote a song for saliva and then he started writing for a lot of people like meatloaf and he tells his story. I'm not going to tell his story, but Motley Crue and then through Motley Crue working with Motley Crue on their last album they did, uh, he and Nikki six decided to start a band called 6am. I think it was, he'll tell his story, but so he was in a band called 6am with Nikki six and, uh, they toured the world. And I think coming out on the other end of be, of being a rock star, he was left a little empty. And that kind of is where we get to him today is starting his own podcast. He's got his own podcast with Halston. Halston's on his podcast with a with a girl. I want to say it was Michelle Menudo. Who's the girl? Melissa Harding. Melissa Harding. Oh yeah, Tanya's sister. Yeah. Um my agents are calling. We're gonna make this quick. Hold on one second. Give me one sec. I'm, I'm wrapping up the in- intro to my podcast. Yeah, no. Okay. Um and so that's where he is today. He kind of got into therapy and his therapist is like, you should journal. And he's like, fuck journaling. I'm just going to do, you should do a journal and read it back to yourself. And he was like, I'm not doing that. I'm starting a fucking podcast. And that's where he ran into Halston. And he was like, let's start a podcast. Michelle Menudo, not Michelle, Hello. Melissa Harding. And the three of them have a podcast and I've listened to it. It's fucking phenomenal. But that gives you perspective of who's on the podcast today. Um, I hope you enjoy it. It is a phenomenal two and a half hour conversation that I would have never had if it wasn't for beautiful Halston. Thank you for making sure this got lined up, Halston. Absolutely. Thank you for having him on. No, he he's fucking phenomenal. You're going to love it and you love him. Go check out his podcast. It's called Halston? Jamcast. The James Michael Podcast. Jamcast. And Halston does the intro music. So give it a listen and then... Hit up Halston and tell him what you think of it. Ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast, uh, musician, songwriter, producer, rock star, podcaster, James Michael. This is It's not that bad. You know, but I'm, I'm from the school of podcasting where it's like podcast should be like, like Leanne tries to keep hers here. Move that to wherever you need it. Leanne tries to keep hers to an hour. A lot of guys try to keep theirs to an hour. My buddy Steve Byrne has a podcast called the Gentleman's Dojo. Really great podcast. Right. Really great podcast. Keeps it to an hour. Sam Tripoli's got the Tinfoil Hat podcast. Keeps it to an hour. <coughs> I think they do that. I, I like it to go as long as it needs to go. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you know, I also I've been I've done like I did a five hour podcast with Rogan one time, which was uh, which. But I I could have done a ten hour one sure, with them yeah. that day. It was just we were just in a great place, uh, and so tomorrow we do th- we're doing three. Ones with Steve Byrne, obviously. Oddly enough, he did uh, directed a movie about a the guy named Amazing Jonathan. Do you ever know who that is? No, really interesting guy. Um, and then and then anyway, two other ones, Dan St. Germain and uh, and Kurt Metzger and Annie Letterman. So and you kind of pace yourself, don't you? Like a little bit. Mine's different than yours. I'm, we're, I'm doing one. I'm doing one. Halston and I are doing one. 
an add-on where it's me talking, just me right. and Halston in the room. I'll be talking to Halston, but I'm pro- kind of talking in thin air. Right. Um, uh, I listened to the first one you did, which was fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank and you, you were talking about doing this because your therapist, I'm in therapy too, by the way, and I am blown away when people don't, are afraid to talk about being in therapy. Like, Yeah, I am too. And I think that uh, what I'm finding is that uh, really the only people that are afraid of talking about therapy is people in our business. You know, people that are yeah. in the entertainment business that have already created this persona about themselves. What I'm finding is like like my fans are just are coming out of the woodwork saying thank you for, for talking about this. My daughter, my granddaughter, my son, my husband uh, is dealing with, with uh, you know, issues. I, I suffer from pretty severe bi- bipolar disorder. Yeah. So I've been talking about that a lot. And it's amazing to me how common it is. And that's, that's what I've been finding is that people are really craving people like us being honest about those type of things and yeah. i mean you know that's something that i've been loving about your podcast is you don't seem to really you don't have any filters about your life in general that's something no. that y- you've actually inspired me to to be more open about shit like that oh i it's a double-edged sword uh i have i share i overshare i think it's it's it probably compensates for a lack of creativity but uh <laughs> <coughs> but i overshare um but i've also i've done something that you you were talking about about being interviewed and being the or being in the artist versus the real person yeah, yeah. and that crossover see I, i've i've erased any separation between church and state yes so it's one entity which can be tricky so like the bert that i am on this podcast is also the bert i'm in the house with my family right is the bert that drops my kids off is the bert that interacts with children that i don't know and is the bird on stage. It's the same person. Well, let me tell you. I, I mean, to me, that is what inspires me because I have spent the last 20 years in a business where pretty much every move that I make is designed and it's, and it's you know, it's finessed. And, you know, I, you don't release anything. You don't release songs until they're exactly how you want them. And you don't release photos of yourself until it's exactly how you want it. And you don't say anything in the press until it, in, unless it's completely on message. <coughs> and after 20, and, and, you know, I've been very successful. I've been very, very lucky. But after 20 years of that, I just kind of got to the point where I'm, I'm so envious of people like you that, you, like you said, you know, separation of church and state, you've just gotten rid of all of that. So you don't have this burden to carry around every day. After a while, it's a real burden to carry that type of stuff around. Yeah, you were talking a little bit about uh, about something. Have you ever read the book? Have you ever read this book, uh, The War of Art? Uh, no. Okay, uh-huh. this is maybe one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. Hmm. Let me see that. And there's there's uh, there's a section in there that spoke to me. I, I read it probably. Th- I've read this book a number of times, or different sections of the book at different times. Wow. But <clears throat> there's a section in there uh, called the definition of a hack, and you said something in your podcast which I went, oh, I bet he hasn't read this. I need to get him to get this. I need book. to check that out. It's it really is. It'll really blow your mind. It's so. But there was a period where I was like, I would I would watch comics do what Dane was doing. This was probably 14 years ago. Right. They would go up and do what Dane Cook was doing. They would embody what Dane did. They would right. they would brand, they would be high energy. They would move their hands around a lot. They would repeat their sentences over and over or the word right. the punchline over and over again. I walk down the street down. I'm walking. Yeah. You know the same rhythm. The same, same rhythm. Right. 
And there's a definition of a hack, and it says it's a person who's trying to predict what the marketplace will buy as opposed to doing what you did. And when I heard you say, you said something in there, and you're like, it can be, you can get super lost in the business because you're trying to make a product that you think people will like. As, yeah. as opposed to when you're younger, you're just doing what you do. Well, yeah, it's it's not even a choice anymore. I mean, it is that is what the record companies are seeking. You know, as soon as, <laughs> as you have one artist come along, let's just say, for instance, Nirvana, they come along and they change everything. They are completely out, out of the box. They don't care about any of the rules yeah. and they just create a whole new sound. And then what happens is that the record companies go and try to find the next 50 of those. And that's the only type of artist that they sign. Imagine if that was... In, in your business, if that if if the only comedians that were able to, to succeed are ones that, like you just explained, had the same tempo, the same the same patter, the same vibe, that's what's happened to the music industry over the last 25 years. Really, I mean, since I've been in it, we have been in a chase to, you know, you have, you have a very, very small group of artists that are trying to create something new. And then the masses, most of the artists and most of the record companies and most of the managers are looking to play off of a success that's already happened. So they're looking for people that have that same tempo, that have that same sound. Yeah. And that's frustrating. That's frustrating as an artist creator because, you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, it happens in your songwriting. You're constantly having to, you know, to look at what's on the charts and and figure out what's working about that and then you try to create art that in some way hints at that you know maybe put your own original twist on it but you just find yourself chasing that all the time and i think that i reached a point in my career i'm 50 now and and i've had a really really lucky very very successful career but i reached a point where i just can't do that chase anymore if because it, it, you feel like a fraud you know, you see that, you see that, I see that at the store. I see people, uh, doing what they see is working. Right. It's just, it's almost like a shortcut sometimes. It's like people going, no, yeah, I could, I could do something similar to what that guy's doing. Like Bill Burr's are, are, are kind of, I, I would say Bill is Bill Burr. Do you know, are you familiar with Bill oh, Burr? I love Bill Burr. He's probably the guy doing it the most original. Hmm. He's just being himself. And I think that is what inspires me when you watch him or Chappelle who are, or Rogan or, or a lot, there are a lot of guys. Joey Diaz does it very much by his, his own standard. And so I think that inspires me. So I started going, oh, I just want to, like, I don't, obviously I got famous for one story about getting involved with the Russian mafia and that was my calling card, but I'm not going to sit there and try to rewrite other outrageous like i like did you I, go through a phase right after you right after that broke that you kind of thought maybe i should or did you ever consider uh coming up with I a just, few more machine type of stories i have one i had one uh which i had told on rogan's podcast around the same time i told the machine about uh being at a live sex show in amsterdam called flying dildos and so i told that story and uh and i and i definitely with a brand i was like i was like yeah I got a couple of those, but then I just, it's like you write what you know. Like yeah. the only thing I know really is like what's going on in my life right now. Right. And so like, I just end up writing. I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not a great comedian in the sense that like, I can't sit like Anthony Jeselnik and see a topic and then go, Oh, here's the joke for that. Like, I don't, I don't right. think like that. Like right. Craig Mack died today and I just got sad. Yeah. I was yeah. like, that sucks, man. Yeah. And then someone's got Craig Mack jokes. And I'm like, sure. well, I was like, oh, I didn't see it that way. Like, right. I, just, I just was like, oh, fuck, he's 46, man. I'm 45. How did he die? Dude, like, 
that shit freaks me out all the time now. You know, I mean, we're we're both pretty young looking for our age. I yeah. think I think pretty we're both young. Young, feel. by the way, we still. are young. You're right, but dude, it's it's happening so often now. Where like I literally, you know, you'll hear of who just who just died recently. Some some like forty year old female movie star or something. It freaks me out now. I like I. Do you do this where you're like every little ache in your body now means something, and you're googling that shit all the time? Oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah, I'm certain I have blood clots. My dad, my dad the other day was like, I got blood clots. I know I got blood clots, and I was like, wait, that means I have blood clots. Right. And he was like, oh, we all got blood clots. That's yeah. what they get you on. Oh, what's his name had an aneurysm, and I was like, what? He's like, ah, I didn't tell you about that. I, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go go buy an aneurysm. I'm dude, pretty I've, sure that's what's gonna take me out. So wait, so so. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a, a little town called Holland, Michigan. Oh, I knew that. Uh, so yeah, I was from the Midwest, but um, as a kid, my dad uh, was a, uh, an artist. He was an art professor, but he was also a visual artist, a uh, great painter, and, and actually uh, pretty <laughs> successful at it. Um, he uh, would teach over in, in Europe for a year and then back in the States for a year. So as a kid, I was spent a lot of time over in England living over there. So it was a pretty cool way to grow up. Um, really? But yeah, my, my family was, uh, was very artistic. My mom was an author and, uh, and my dad was a painter and that's the kind of, holy crap. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, I was only wondering. Child? Only child? No, I have an older brother. Yeah. How I, old? Uh, he's, uh, three years older than me. He's a pilot. He, fly, he... flies for net jets. Oh, I know net jets. Yeah. It's awesome. Is he, is he, did he introduce you to music? He did actually. He, um, he was into music. He always wanted to be a guitar player and, uh, I remember the day he brought home the first uh, Meatloaf album, Bad Out of Hell. Uh, and I was just so, it was, you know, Meatloaf. And, yeah, um, of course. And uh, he, he brought home the the picture disc, you know, the, the vinyl disc with the actual picture on it. And um, that was really cool. That was my first introduction to music. And ironically, I ended up uh, writing and producing for Meatloaf down the road. Uh, I have a great story about uh, meeting him, actually. I'd, I had done a, uh, a show here in Los Angeles. I was, I was pretty young. And Meatloaf came to the show. Um, and uh, I had heard that he was in the audience. And I thought, wow, that's cool. That was kind of my biggest celebrity moment so far. I was just trying to break into the business. And uh, and the next day, I get a, a phone call. Uh, and it says, hey, James, this is uh, Meatloaf. And I was like, well, yeah, hi, hi. And he's like, you know, I was at your show last night. And I um, I, I made some notes. Do you oh, mind? Shit. Do you mind if I give you some notes? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me! But yeah, so we spent an hour on the phone, and he was giving me all this advice on things that were right about my performance, things that weren't right about my performance. Long story short, we kind of became friends, and he became a real champion of mine. And so one, uh, he actually he he called me up. We'd we'd gotten to know each other maybe six months into this this friendship, and he said, hey, I'm I'm getting ready to make another record. I'm not working with Jim Steinman anymore, which was the guy that wrote all of his big hit songs. He says, yeah. I really like your songwriting. Would you want to come out to the house and talk to me about, you know, about writing some of my new record? And of course, so I say yes. And I, I you know, I, I plan to go out there in the, the weekend. It was the weekend that I went out there. I'm driving up into Bel Air and I'm just, I'm just a poor kid. I literally have what nothing going. Oh God, this has got to be, this has got to be, 98 something so like wait, that. what year did you come out to LA I think I, I, I came out here in like 87 holy shit dude I've been out here a long time I've been out I've been out in California longer than I've I've was ever in Michigan um yeah I've, I've been here a long time I mean this is home this feels like home to me yeah 
So I get out to his, you know, my imagination's going wild because I'm thinking bad out of hell. I'm thinking I'm going to show up and it's going to be this gothic castle and With candelabras. Yeah. And, and I'm going to ring the doorbell. It's going to be a gong. And then there's going to be like a three headed dog that answers the door. And he'll be coming down a spiral staircase <laughs> in with a, a cape, scarf. Right, in a cape. <laughs> yeah. So I get there and it's very conventional kind of colonial style house. And so my, you know, and first off, I got to preface this by saying, I love the guy. He's, he's been awesome to me. He's an awesome guy, but my, my dreams were kind of shattered when I first got there because it was you know a white picket fence and just nothing rock and roll about it nothing. i ring the doorbell and it's just like this ding dong the the, 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 the most wimpy feminine not the dong. no nothing like that no gongs yeah. nothing and then a couple of yippy dogs answer the door and then he shows up in his pajamas and i'm thinking this is just not at all what yeah. i was oh, fuck meatloaf. don't you know the branding <laughs> exactly come on uh but uh so anyway we we had a lovely time and uh one of the coolest things was he uh, at some point, he walked me down this hallway in his house, and at the end of this long hallway was the original artwork to Bat Out of Hell. And I just kind of stood there in front of him, and I just thought, man, if my brother could be here right now, because he was the one that had brought home that picture disc. But, uh, yeah. you know, it turned into a great a great friendship, a great working relationship. I wrote I wrote several songs for him over the years, and uh, and he's been a champion of mine to this day. It's one of the things about mu- the music business. I think, I think everyone... I know for a fact that, like... When I went to my 20th reunion, maybe, people were like, uh, so do you support yourself from stand-up? And I was like, yeah. I've been supporting myself from stand-up for like 15, 20 years. Or right. from, at the time, probably 15 years. And they're like, really? And you're like, yeah. Like, all my friends, we all make a living, but we're not like millionaires. And then even when you are a millionaire, you still people still don't know you're a millionaire. Right. And, then, and then, like, they only know the people that are making... 16 million dollars right, a year right, yeah and then they assume and it was one of the things that about the music industry is like we have our friends one of our friends wrote uh uh what was the i wish i knew the exact song he wrote it was a Shaka khan song oh yeah uh, he wrote for Shaka khan and he wrote for the pointer sisters in the 80s and he made a bunch of money off that right and then kind of and then he still writes. He tours with uh, with whose house? Who's Hugh Laurie has yeah, a band. He tours yeah. with Hugh Laurie All right. around the world, and it's a really neat living. It's a great life. Two kids also teaches guitar lessons because he loves guitar. Right. Um, but it's like I remember hearing that, and they were like, "And look, they have like an Escalade. They have like nice cars, and they right. have a beautiful house. They're redoing their house." I'm like, "So you, when you see someone redoing your house, you're like, oh, you must have money. Right. Like you're right. redoing your house, and they're like, oh yeah, he makes a great living. But it's one of the things about the entertain about the music business that I think always fascinated me is how many people there are that can make money and really be behind. the Oh scenes. yeah, absolutely. In in fact, the behind the scenes people make way more typically than the people. Uh, in, in, in front of the scenes. I mean, as an example, I, you know, I uh, started a band late in my career uh, called 6AM and yeah. we actually got very successful over the last decade. Um, but the money that I made doing that, which was fantastic, I can't complain, was nothing compared to the money that I made as a songwriter writing for artists like Kelly Clarkson. and, Dude, and Kelly Clarkson is that like secret time performer of mine that i fucking love Dude, she's insane she's she a so lovely talented. woman she's so awesome she represents so many things that i love about the music about you know the good side of the music business she's yeah. a real person she uh is unfiltered uh just good and one of the most amazing singers out there she she's, legit is there's i was on, i was in my car one time and since you've been since you've been gone came on yeah that song fucking rocked. Dude. Like I, I, 
I hear that and I just get, I can't leave, breathe yeah. for the first me and, time. Me and all of my so- professional songwriting partners have tried to rewrite that song a million times, you know, back to the conversation yeah. about trying to chase what's already been successful. We've all tried to write that song a million times and it's just, that's just a brilliant song. There are some artists, well, right now we're looking at, um, I, I was talking, we're looking for music, intro music for my special. And I was talking to my buddy who's a movie producer and I was like, I think I kind of want, like, Rage Against the Machine's got a really good song that would be good, like an older, it's from the first album. Yeah. So, because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking Penny, what is it, Penny, Penny, Fooly, whatever, like, I'm trying to save right. money. So, I'm yeah, like, sure. first album, uh, the first album would be the P- cheaper album. Right. He's like, yeah, it'll be, like, probably 200000 I was like, what? He was like, well, you know, you got the publishing rights and then the performance rights. Yeah. And I was like, huh? Well, you know what people do then is they just hire some, they hire a songwriter to come up with a sound alike. Yup. Pretty gross part of the business, but it's a real part of the business and a lot of money's made there doing that. Shout out to Dan Adler. I know that you're doing that on Man Vs. Food. Yeah. I know that you're doing that because every time you go to your music, my, Dan Adler is one of my buddies. He's got a, he's, he created this, he created a couple of my shows, but he created Man Vs. Food. Right. And sometimes I hear... Uh, the music and I go, oh, I know this song and then it changes melody and I went, oh, you motherfucker. Yeah. It's because all the rest of America doesn't know that's not the song song they think it is. Right, right. They go, oh, that's going to be the song and your emotions connect to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then you just, it's just like, oh, oh, that's right. And it happens, it happens time and time again. I uh, had a, a, a TV show I can't remember what network it was, but they approached me and asked me to write a theme song for their for their series that they had. It was like the second season of this series. So I wrote this great theme song, performed it. They loved it. It got cut into the first episode, um, and it was kind of on the fast track. So we they had actually cut it into the to the show before we had done the negotiations and figured out the business side of it. Yeah. Well. Then they figured now that it's in the show, we'll just strong arm them, strong arm them. And they tried to get it for just pennies. I mean, like just really low ball. And I just said, I I can't do that, man. You know, I got a business I'm running here. I can't do it. So what did they do? They went to another sound alike. Uh, they went to a writer to do a sound alike of mine, and uh, and so the first two episodes of that se- of the show have my actual song on it, and then the next one is just like the whole rest of the season has this sound alike song, which is so obviously. I actually I I, I went to a uh, what they call them a musicologist uh, because I was going to sue them for uh, for you know copyright infringement. Yeah, turns out it just wouldn't have been worth the money to sue them, but it was clearly a copyright infringement that happens all the time. It's and it's so interesting that it's an, an acceptable part of the business, whereas if you did that in stand up or in, I mean they do it in television. Something pops and they're like, "Oh, we need something just like that." Like uh, yeah, yeah. Like the, uh, there's so many spinoffs of like, of like uh, of, I, one of my favorite shows is uh, I, I don't even know what the name of it now is, but it's like Living Off the Grid, uh, yeah. above the hundred degrees, uh, just under the North Pole, yeah. Northern Alaska. Like it's, there's like nine shows like it. Right. I can watch them interchangeably. I don't even know the difference. Yeah, and and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's fine. I think people are starting to push back on that. I think, and, and that actually brings up a question I wanted to ask you in a podcast you did just recently. You were talking about, you know, theft of jokes. Yeah, and you mentioned that there, there's a couple of times where you've had that happen, and you chose not to confront the person about it and i thought to myself 
that's like the first out of character thing I've heard. I don't know you, but yeah. I've wa- I've binge watched all of your podcasts, by the oh, way. So I feel you. like I know a lot about you. But why would you not choose to confront that person when you have no filter about anything else? What was it that made you just think this is this a dangerous move? It, there's no benefit. Yeah, I guess there's I no guess benefit. you're not going to get that joke back. You're not, and and it's it's uh, and then what happens is, uh, so I did it one time. I did it one time. You confronted a person. I confronted. I I confronted him uh, privately. Uh, went to his house and I confronted him privately. Right. And it just dissolved. It was there was no. It was like almost like they. It was like a like a, a sleight of hand. Like no, it's gonna be. Free. I don't know what you're talking about. It's just fine. Went Everything's away. fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Right. And I was like, yeah, but th- th- it kind of you know fucked me up a little bit. And I don't think maybe I wasn't clear enough. Maybe that they that person didn't hear me clear enough. Maybe I I, I thought I was pretty vocal maybe i wasn't i don't know and then i went on um my butt joe's podcast and i talked about it there right. and then that that was pretty clear i think yeah. everyone it was like okay that that that's this is really clear yeah and uh number one i think you i think it's there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that i mean i'm, sure, I, I'm not i'm i can't i, I can't correlate this to rape because uh, i think that's too petty for me to to say it's like but i will say that i do understand i do understand women when they said women have nothing to gain by coming out and saying they've been sexually assaulted i do understand that i go yeah I go, yeah. yeah 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 yeah. if i was sexually assaulted i probably wouldn't tell a fucking soul i was right. like i don't want to deal with the fucking hassle i don't want to go to the cop station i don't want to have a rape kit done to me right. i don't want to have to point out my accuser i don't want to have people call me a liar i don't want to have people you don't have to relive in, that i don't want to have to relive it over and over and over again right and so so for me the second time i got stolen from it was uh, arguably even a bigger person, hmm. and um, and it was and it and it could have gotten really nasty. And I I talked to Ari and I talked to Tom. And by the way, the first time I got stolen from, uh, I talked to my manager. My manager said, "Do not do anything about it. Don't even bring it up. Don't mention it. Shut your mouth and just keep working." And I went, "Oh, you're out of your mind. I'm gonna com- I'm gonna talk to the." It was the second time. Both Tom and Ari was like, "I wouldn't say a fucking word." I was like, really? And they're like, do not say a word because it it just makes you look like you you don't like the way the game's played or you got sour grapes or or you're not happy that you're yeah, not I can that see successful. That. I can see that. It's 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 very different in my business because uh, you know, there have been many copyright lawsuits that have been won successfully, even though copyright uh infringement is a very difficult thing to prove. But there's also potential financial benefit to that if somebody has stolen your song and it's become a big hit oh there's no benefit for us see that's the thing there's no financial benefit there's never been a lawsuit probably in in the comedy world no there there couldn't be i don't know if anyone i and it and then it turns into he said she said or he said he said or or he said she said but Although now, there, chances are there is documentation of it on YouTube or what, wherever. Oh, I went. Be. I went and uh, screen grabbed everything. Sure. I went and pulled everything, and just in case, because I, I actually told one person about it who didn't believe me and said it called me a liar. Right. And we were in a hotel room and we were drunk. Right. And I brought it up, and uh, they said that's impossible. And I said, no, it's really totally possible. I said it's right on my phone. Here's right. a, and I showed them the proof I had, and they still didn't believe me. Jeez. And I was like, no, no, no. That's that person actually admitting they did it. 
Wow. And they still didn't believe me. Wow. It was yeah, it was it was crazy. Uh it's it's really hard. I got to a place with comedy where I just said, I want to write jokes no one else can write. Meaning I want to write longer form stories. I want to write uh like the only like I want to write jokes where the the joke is so authentically me right. that if someone else would do it was doing it Everyone would see it. Yeah, yeah. So, I, like, and, and like, I have a joke on my new special about Alexa. Well, I, that joke, if it gets stolen, that's my fault because right. it's not that. I mean, it's an original joke. I wrote it, right. but you know, look, Mark, I'm not sure. shut the fuck up, Alexa, dude. I actually, I have. A, let me get my phone. Yesterday, I'm watching your podcast, the one with uh, with uh, Zane. Yeah, Zane Lamprey, which yeah. I think you just did recently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had gotten up to take a piss, and I, I had Alexa, stop. <laughs> And I'd gotten up to take a piss and it was right at this time when you were talking about altitude from, you know, sea level altitude. So I come back from the, from the bathroom and my phone's lit up. I'm like, what's going on? I'm the, I'm, I'm here by myself. And I, I, I screen grabbed this because I wanted to, to show you this. This is what, this is what my, this is what my screen said. My phone said. Oh my God. <laughs> and so I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I, I like rewind. And then you guys were talking about altitude. And at some point you had asked, you said, Hey Siri, what is the altitude in Phoenix? And so my phone thinks I asked it what the altitude of my penis is, <laughs> which was 669 feet. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I ask Siri shit all the time. <coughs> yeah, there she goes. It's now, now my penis is at 630 feet. Uh, but I ask Siri shit all the time. And she's like, I'm sorry. I don't oh. know the answer. But she had no problem figuring out what the altitude of my, of my penis was. Dude, I, I, I got into a fight with, um, with that cylinder bitch right there yeah, yeah. and the bitch on my phone, right? I'm not going to say their names because then they're light exactly. up. Exactly. And I, so, I like that one, by the way. The cylinder bitch? Yeah, I like yeah, the she, cylinder I, bitch. She's invaluable. Uh, and so I got into a fight with them. And I, I didn't... It starts because I'm drunk. And, I'm, and I'm, I talk about this on my special. But I'm calling the cylinder bitch by the phone bitch's name. So I'm going... So I'm saying, hey, S-word. Right. Hey, S-word. And the cylinder's not answering. But my phone answers. <coughs> and then I realize my mistake. And I, and I say the cylinder bitch's name. And the... S phone bitch comes in and goes, you're calling me by the wrong name, butt face. No and I go, shit. And I say that on stage. I say that on stage and I go, I go, I swear to God, if you call her by the wrong name, she calls you butt face. And this woman comes up to me. She goes, no, she doesn't. She goes, just so you know, your kids went in your phone and changed your, your name, name to, butt face. to butt face for her to call you butt face. <laughs> and I was like, you sons of bitches. Awesome. So here I am like going, I'm like, swear to God, if you call her by the wrong name, she calls you butt face. And they're like, no, your kids are assholes. This, this technology is a little bit scary. I'm very protective. You're probably very open about this shit. I'm yeah. very protective about my phone and, and, and shit that's on there. And I don't want any, I always put it face down, <laughs> but with this new technology, People can get into your shit. Like I could, you know, I could just say, "Hey Siri, what's on my schedule for tomorrow?" And and your phone is going to tell me what's on your schedule tomorrow, just like yeah. mine is, without having to have any thumb or face. Dude, ID. I had. I there was a girl that worked for me for one episode. I'm not saying that I got rid of her because of this, but I definitely will say that this scared the living shit out of me. And then we didn't work again together for whatever reason. <laughs> she, we were all sitting at lunch, and uh, I said. I said, are you uh, in a relationship? She goes, I just got out of a relationship. I said, really? And she goes, yeah, my uh, my boyfriend was cheating. And we're like, whoa. And we're like, how did, did you did you catch him? And she was like, oh yeah, I caught him. 
And we're like, really? She's like, yeah, one night he fell asleep and I grabbed his phone and I put his thumb on his phone so it unlocked it and I went through his messages Holy and I shit. caught him cheating and I pulled it up and I went, oh, that's some spy shit right there. Out so of here. I was like, I was like, oh my God, that I respect that brain. Yeah, pretty awesome. But not working with me. No. That's, that's someone who definitely records you losing your shit in the van about whatever skydive you have to do. And she's like, yeah. see, he said, bitch, he's a misogynist. And I was yeah. like, Rrr. but Jeez. yeah, that one, that's, that's how much has the, the, the music industry changed from when like I read, I read, uh, I read Guns N' Roses book about them being street kids right. and and they'd say I think they were the ones that were like yeah we'll sign with Sony if he runs down Sunset naked right. and they were like great and then some exec runs down naked and they're like we we'll sign with Sony <laughs> now you could not do that no. in a million fucking years no, did you see the change coming oh yeah I'm like I moved out here in the late 80s so I you know so what were the big bands in the scene in the late 80s Warrant <laughs> Oh, I was I was at their signing party. Uh, real. Yeah, it's like it was those type of bands. Where it was it was kind of the the last few year, years of the hair metal before Nirvana came along and squashed everything. Uh, but oh. man, it was such a healthy time in the music business. It was literally everything that you see in the, in the movies. You know, Sunset Strip was just jam packed with all these long haired dudes handing out flyers every night, and it was just alive, man. Every club was just banging all the time and it was a very very different time the music industry has changed so much since then i think if i could go in a time machine to any time in music it would be that that era just that i mean there's there's i think you know obviously uh that laurel canyon in the 60s would be yeah. beautiful uh I mean, okay, let's go. Let's go through five. You got it. You got five time time machine trips you get to take. Right. Okay. Right. And and you're just going to see, not just a concert, but you're going to that era of like, I want to be, I want to be in Seattle in 1991. That's yeah, one of the yeah. places. Yeah, absolutely. I want to be on the Sunset Strip in what was it? I guess 85, right. 87. Right. I would definitely love to be in uh germany in like the 1300s or whenever amadeus was oh geez yeah like, that I would think be of that yeah just badass i think i'd want to do i'd want to do frank sinatra and oh, know, sammy davis i mean fuck yeah i just want to be a drinking buddy of those of the of that whole how gang. great would that oh, just one of those shows in the 60s in Vegas, where you dress up nice, you don't know smoking causes cancer. Right, you, you're you're you can drink and drive. You no one's gonna talk down to you. Like you you put your chick on your arm and you go, oh honey, this is nice. I see. I don't think that we're ever gonna have any era like that again. No. It's it's just we're all just so fragmented now. Doesn't it feel like that? I mean, back then it just, of course, you know, social media changed everything, but. Yeah, those were the days. That just seems like when 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 men were men, and and it just was it was. Uh, oh, that'll never be the way. That, yeah, that'll never. I would like to see. I would like to see. I, I'm on the fence if I would like to be around for like the 30s of country music yeah. or the 50s. Yeah, yeah. It would be. Cool I think to, the 50s would have been cool across the board. You 50s know, would have been cool across the board. Yeah. You know what though? I I, I remember hearing about um, Glenn Miller. And they were like, Glenn Miller was the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I was drunk and I heard this somewhere, or I don't know if I just thought of it, but Glenn Miller was like Eminem in, in, in the thirties, I guess. Yeah. 
And he went to World War II and was like, guys, I'm fighting for our troops. And I just remember hearing that going, oh, that will never happen again. You'll never get, Eminem would never join the military. Right. And then right. go, yeah, 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 I'm going to go fight. And, and at night, I'll put on shows. Right. And that's right. what I'll do. And by the way, I don't need the millions. I'm doing this because this is my country, my duty. Well, and then sadly, Miller... we would forget about him. You know, oh, he'd, yeah. He he'd just off off the charts for a couple of years. He's not just, on Instagram? Who's he? I don't even know what the fuck right. he's doing. Yeah. Right. That's so, and then Glenn Miller died over the Bering, not the Bering Straits, but uh, the English Channel. Right. His plane went down. down. That, uh, what, Halston, what's the um, Glenn Miller song? What's the Glenn Miller song? It's in the heat of the, in the thick of the night? Uh, in the mood. In the mood. In the mood. In the mood, yeah. That song... I, I was high as shit one day. I shouldn't have been driving, but I was. And I'm driving through Larchmont. And this is around that time. And I put on Into the Mood. Yeah. And then. And it, it just. Oh, I got so into that fucking song. I, I have a fantasy that, that when I finally do retire from music. I'm probably only going to listen to stuff from that era and back, you know, it just, yeah. I just, cause that can, that, that music can still shape your day. It can shape everything about your world. And nowadays it's just, everything's so disposable, you know, it's, it's hard to it really find. Is. I mean, and everything's so disposable and so like you say, like everyone gloms on to, like I'm into hip hop and right now there's this whole genre of the Lil's like the little pump, little yeah. dump, yeah. little, little six, nine, little something. <laughs> Lil Xan, right. Lil Yachty, and and Lil Lil, well, Lil Wayne's, uh, but but and their big thing is, uh, I guess Lil Xan shit on Tupac. Now yeah. they're all shitting on Tupac because it because he did it. It got him press, right. and his fans don't give a shit about Tupac, right? And so now everyone's doing it, yeah. And you're just like, there's no originality. There's no. Yeah, you ha you have to really buy into that stuff. I mean, if if you're on the periphery of that, it's just it kind of just you just gloss over it. And uh, I, I think that that that's really the case. No matter what genre of music you're talking about, now you kind of have to invest yourself into it and buy into those stories. Otherwise, you know, it's just all noise. So, how did you get from come out from Michigan on the Sunset Strip, seeing great shows, to then oh now I'm in the industry? It was a long fucking journey. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I had visions as I was driving across the country to move out here that, you know, ah, I'll give it a few years and then I'll, you know, become a rock star. That was, that's what I thought was going to happen. Honestly, I didn't have my first hit as a artist until I was 40 years old. That's a long fucking time to be out here slugging it out in Los Angeles. Now, I had built some successful things in my career. I became a pretty successful songwriter uh, in my 30s. Um, but that was the journey for me. I came out here. I joined a bunch of shitty bands and, and kind of struggled in, the, in the, you know, the, the club scene for a while trying to get something happening. And so wait, show me how that, like, tell me how that, like, I, like how, how does that even work? Like, like you're going, like... Are you meeting people at work? Are you? Yeah. Do you have a job, day job? Uh, yeah, or you I worked. At, at I worked at Red Lobster out here in Tarzana, and uh, you know, everyone there was either a waiter. I mean, was either a, a, a actor, actor musician. musician, dancer, whatever it may be. So it was fun and it was exciting, and you know, it was kind of like a you know an episode of Friends. Everyone had their shit going on, but but we were all trying to figure out what life was, and you know, joining different bands. And uh, I gave up several times. I, in fact, I gave up music. Uh, got married, moved up to San Francisco, and I was I was 
painting buildings for a living. And it was actually my now ex-wife who convinced me to, uh, to maybe start playing the piano again. And I, uh, I went around to some wine bars in San Francisco. I got a gig and, uh, slowly kind of started getting that bug again. And, um, and, uh, at some point I started writing songs again and, uh, a buddy, I'd played a song that I'd written for a buddy of mine, and he said, you know, you should join this Northern Northern California Songwriters Association, play this song for some people, and, and see if you can get some interest. And long story short, I went to this thing, I, I played a song, it got selected, I signed a publishing deal, and then I kind of got into the system. I wasn't successful, but I was in the system. Now I was dealing with that next level up of managers, publishers. I was, I actually had a, a uh, you know, an, an end to some record companies and it was just a slow build man I, you know i i don't know if i could I, it's it's probably very much like what your uh your rise was you know you're, you're slogging it out you're working the door and 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 i i think that i i worked the door in my business for many many years until i just you know had one lucky break after another and and one of those actually was was pivotal and um it was uh it was a song that i wrote uh for a band called saliva I remember that, uh, saliva. It became. A, I, I wrote this song called "Rest in Pieces," and it uh, it became a big hit. And I went from being broke ass to having a shit ton of money like that, and everything changed. And so 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 before so in bands, and then you're like, and then you get married, and you're like, let's move to let's let's fucking chill. Yeah, out. let's do the responsible. Let's thing. Let's do the responsible thing. Now, did anyone in the bands that you were ever in did any of them blow up? Did you ever have a guy that you played with that you're like, oh, wow, he's... he's Not really, but I did have a lot of bands that I played, you know, that I did shows with blow up. Uh, I, you know, when I was up in San Francisco, was, I had a, a rock band called The Last Americans that got absolutely nothing happening for them. We were booking our own gigs and stuff, but we would do shows with bands like Third Eye Blind yeah. and Train and, uh, you know, a few other bands that just exploded, which even makes it worse, you know, because you're just like, what am I doing wrong here? Why are these guys just exploding? It, it almost seemed like if you want to have a successful career, you know, come play with my band yeah. and, and off you go and, and I'll just kind of stay stagnant. It was like that for a long time. Uh, so I watched a lot of bands blow up. And so then you write the one song, the publishing, you, you join that thing, publishing, it gets sold, someone buys it, you yeah. have some money, and then you're like, oh, I can write songs. Well, it was it was such a long journey getting to that, that, that once that happened, um, you know, I, I told this story on my podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, but like I said, I was so fucking broke. I had no money, and I was divorced or going through a divorce and I was just down and, 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 you know, but thank God going through the divorce broke as oh. opposed to getting the money and then going through the divorce. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Trust me. I, I, I thought a lot about that. That was somebody looking out for oh. me. Um, but, uh, I, yeah. So I, I, I got my first enormous check in the mail and you know, I don't know if you've ever but, been that broke. But like, wait, 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 I, I wait. To get me to the enormous check. Okay. So you write a few songs. Yeah. And they and then they get picked up and you're like, okay, this is picking up steam. Yeah. Then you write the song for saliva. Yeah. And now, do you have any idea what the money coming in is gonna be, or do you like? I I don't. Uh, I I 
but you know, I, I hoped that it would be good, but it was way better. This was back in the time in the music business business when we were all overpaid for what we did. I mean, there's just no question. You yeah. know, I have made a million dollars off of a song that took me two hours to write. You know, so that's so that was, but that that doesn't happen that much anymore. I mean, it still happens in the pop world quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was down and out. I was, you know, I'd had enough little things happen that made me think, hmm, if I stick with this, if I believe in this and I keep on plugging away, one of these could break, but you don't know when it's going to be. But yeah, as soon as that song, Rest in Pieces, uh, broke the top 10, that's when I started shopping for a publishing deal. That's when I thought, okay, now I've got something to go back to these guys with and say, let's let's talk real business here. Um, so what's, what's a publishing deal? A publishing like- deal. Every time your song is played, if you write a song, mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say, for instance, you write a song for Kelly Clarkson. Every song, every time that song is played on the radio, it generates money. Um, and, for, from from advertisers, from people uh, advertise on the radio, the radio station pays for it. Well, obviously through through ad sales, that's how radio stations you know make their money. Yeah. Uh, but they have to. What what brings people to a radio station is the music. Yeah. What the radio station cares about is the ad sales. So they've got to pay then for the to use that music. The the, the music is really a a, a a loss leader to get people to listen to advertisements. Uh, so so when your song is played on the radio, every time it's played, the radio station has to log it, and then it goes to the performance uh, like BMI or ASCAP. I remember I knew I yeah I knew a girl Patty who worked for ASCAP. Yeah, that so was every email. year radio stations ASCAP. pay a lot of money to ASCAP and, and BMI and a couple of other organizations. That money is then distributed to the writers of that song. One thing that a lot of people don't understand is that if Kelly Clarkson cuts a song of mine and it gets played on the radio, she's not making any money off of that song being played on the radio. I'm the one making the money off of that song being played on the radio. She's making money off of record sales once once radio play translates to record sales. Yeah. She will make plenty of money off of record sales. Do you make money on record sales too? Yes. So you make money on record sales and when it's played on the radio. There are two different types of publishing. There is mechanical royalties, which is record sales. Uh, so every time the record, every time a record sells, I don't know the exact numbers right now, but it's something like nine cents per song. Yeah. So if you sell a million records and you have 10 songs on the record, do the math. It can be, it can be very lucrative. Yeah. Um, and then also performance royalties. Right now there's a hundred people going, do the math for me real quick. Yeah. I mean, I've, <laughs> I, it would take me a half hour. I literally would be here going, <laughs> yeah, nine million, hundred thousand. I'm terrible at that. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So uh, back to, to that song that I had done for saliva, that was the first song that broke top 10 and I knew that it was going to generate a lot of money. So I went to the publishing company and they, uh, what publishing companies do is they are, they will go around the world and collect the money that has been earned off of that song. Because as, as just a songwriter, you don't have a, you don't have the mechanism in place to go collect from all of these different countries. Okay. So the song pops and you know, it's popping. You're like, I'm hearing this a lot. Yeah. And then you're like, someone's getting paid on this, but I'm not getting paid yet. I knew, I knew that I was going to be getting paid on it, but I had to do a deal with a publishing company so that they could go out and gather that money for me. Otherwise it's just sitting out there in all of these pots around the world. I apologize if I sound like an absolute moron. So, so you have a record label. Yes. You have a publishing company. Yes. What other, like, so I have a manager, I have an agent, I have a business manager and I have a lawyer. Right. Technically they all work together. Yeah. Uh, like we have a team meeting here tomorrow. The whole team is coming. Everyone's coming. Right. My road manager 
my my tour manager does mostly my tour, but in my agent, I have all those different things. So when you're an artist as a musician or a songwriter, do you do you have you have a publishing company? Yeah, well, it depends on on like if you're an artist and you're just an artist, you're not really a songwriter, you're just an artist, then yeah, you would have a record label, obviously, because you'd need to release records. You would have uh, an agent, Mm -hmm. a booking agent, whatever that may be, a a manager, a lawyer, that type of stuff. But if you're a songwriter, you would then add to that, you would also add a publisher because you need somebody collecting your royalties, your mechanical royalties and your performance royalties. And you can get, can you get better publishing deals the bigger you are? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of publishing deals out there that would maybe you know if 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 you don't have hits already on the radio and you're just a good songwriter and you are lucky enough to get a publishing deal it's probably going to be a small publishing deal they may give you 15 20 grand and say everything that you write from here on out is ours we own the copyright to it um and then you know if if you have some success we'll renegotiate when you have uh a lot of hit songs on the radio. It's a very different publishing deal. It could be a million dollars. We'll give you a million dollars. And uh, so for the most part, the publishing deal, the publishing company just cuts you a check and says, we'll collect all the money. Here's your money. Yes. And then if you have a few hits, do you ever get into a place where it's like you get back end points of what they collect? Or is that the, the idea that, yes, uh, I, I should actually clarify a, a publishing deal would mean that the you hand over the hundred percent of the copyright a hundred percent of that song to the publisher they they give you money up front and then they just own that copyright that's not that common what's typically done is a co-publishing deal which would mean I still retain ownership of half of the copyright they own the other half um, so it, it, when it boils down to it as a co-publisher, I mean, it can get very confusing. Let's put it this way. A song, the money earned off of a song gets broken down like this. Let's just say a song makes a dollar. Okay. Um, a hundred percent of that is considered publishing, but half of that publishing is considered songwriter share. And the other half is considered publishing share. So for instance, 50, 50 cents on the dollar would be publisher share. 50 cents on the dollar would be songwriter share. The songwriter share is a songwriter's birthright. It is yours no matter what. Yeah. Unless you're dumb enough to sign that away. Uh, the like, publishing like, share... Like Vanilla Ice did to Suge Knight. Yeah, it's that type of thing. It happens. Yeah. It's sad when it happens. The publisher share gets broken down into two halves. So now you've got your 50 cents over here, which is just yours as the songwriter. Yeah. The other 50 cents, if you've done a co-publishing deal, 25 cents of that goes to the publisher and the other 25 cents comes to you. So if you sign a standard co-publishing deal, you're going to be making 75 cents on every dollar. Wow, that's fucking phenomenal. But then, you know... So then so then when you go... So you write the Saliva song, you go to a publishing company, and you go, here's the deal. I wrote a legit song. I've got many more of these. I'm ready to get to work. Here's the deal I want. You don't have to give me your deal, but here's the deal I want. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. And then you just start writing songs, and then are you like... Writing songs and like, like going like sending them to people. Well, that's another job of the publisher. Uh, a publisher has a whole department which are called song pluggers. So what they're doing, their job, the song pluggers' job, is to do exactly that: is to take the songs that you write and find out in the business who's looking for songs. You know what artists are getting ready to make a record. What type of songs are they looking for? And then they'll plug those songs and and uh, you know. And and that still goes on quite a bit, but and that's just a cutthroat business because now there's 
so many songwriters out there writing songs that, uh, you know, to get a song on a, a, a successful artist record is really hard these days, but that's what you rely on a publisher to set up those type of, of connections for you. Um, yeah. What I've found is that, uh, is that in this business, it's really all about relationships. So you can rely on a publisher to do that, but your best bet is always to be out there making those relations, make like, relationships with the artist directly. Like going to like, uh, like album release parties and I'm, I'm, I'm anything, so- whatever it may be. In my case, I got very lucky because I also, uh, became the singer in a very successful band. And so I was in that world. So my buddies became rock stars. You know, I, I was just always on tour with, with rock stars and, and, and um, so I was always around them and I developed So tell me how you got to that place. So you write a few successful songs and this is, I'm guessing, 97? I'm going to say, let's just say 99. I signed my first record deal. Okay. As an artist. As an artist. And, it was and a, that was always your goal. That Yeah, I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. Um, but I had, uh, and, and so that was around the time that, that things started feeling like... I hadn't just wasted 10 years of my life. It started, I started to see some payoff, you know, people were paying attention to me. Like I said, you know, the, the, the publishing deal, I signed a record deal. Um, and I, uh, and, and once you sign a record deal, you are now kind of brought into that family. So on the, on the record label with me was bands like Motley Crue, Meatloaf, uh, uh, Blondie, Sammy Hagar, all of these artists I ended up working with because I was in that world. Um, And uh, I, I, you know, during that time, I made a solo record, my very first professional solo record, and it got released and just tanked, completely tanked. Really? But during that time, I was starting to write with all of these successful artists. I, I wrote... Uh, with Sammy Hagar. I wrote a lot of songs uh, for Motley Crue. Um, I wrote, ended up writing a lot of songs for Meatloaf um, and and other artists like that. And something very interesting happened. As my record just completely tanked, checks started coming in. Big checks started coming in because I was I had all of these songs on these successful artists' records. And that's when I started going, hmm, I can spend my time writing songs for other artists and just sit back and let the money roll in or I can keep on trying to be an artist myself which would have me focusing primarily just on writing songs for myself you know and you can really only do one album a year so that's only 12 songs get out there and run the risk of that album tanking like mine did so I thought well this just this is obvious I should just be a professional songwriter so for several years I was completely content with that, and I was building a really wonderful career. It's got to be really nice. It's like oh. none of the pressure, like and and, and like like uh, I was saying to someone, there was a, a comic. He, I, I, I'm not gonna say his name, and just in case he didn't, he never said this. But there's a comic who was getting ready to tell a story, uh, and on um, on uh, one on the storytelling show on Comedy Central, and I saw him uh, the night like few weeks before he was going to do it and i saw him tell the story and i thought personally i thought i've been doing stand-up longer than he has i said oh he's definitely getting in his way like i can see where he's getting in his way yeah like i can see i can i I would get rid of that line immediately and so i was with his agent and i pulled him aside and i was like hey man if you need help with that story like 
it's, you know, I'm, I'm, it's kind of what I do. Like I'm really good at stories and I can del- I can definitely help you. And so he came over here and we, we podcasted it. I don't, I won't ever release that. It was, I, we just talked in the microphone so that I could give it to him later. It was like a, a work session. I said, tell me your story. Right. I said, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to ask every detail of the story. I want to know everything about the story. I want it. We're going to tell your story. We should have done that with me today. Cause I feel like I'm all over the place. Oh no, this way. is perfect. Okay. By the way, this is, I'm, I'm fucking fascinated. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> he told me a story for 45 minutes. And then at the end I say, here's how I tell your story. And I told him his story back to him. And I mean, it, when we were doing it, he was standing up and he was like jumping around going, this is awesome. Amazing. I go, dude, it's just, it's so much easier for me to hear your story and tell your story back to you than it is for me to work on my own story because right. I get in my own way. Right. I wish that someone would do this with me. Right. Like I remember Segura had the greatest story, but the end sucked. But, it's, it, but he's attached to the end. He's attached to the end because it, it really happened to him. Right. I go, lose that, dude. This is your end. Right, right. And he was like, oh, that's fucking great. And I go, dude, it's just because I don't have any attachment to the truth because right. it's not my story that it's so much easier. I was going to do a podcast called uh, Let Me Tell You Your Story where people dude, come in that's and tell, awesome. me, tell me like a 45-minute story or tell me a story and then I tell it back to them. I'm really good at – I'm really good at – that of like the the arc finding the arc finding the you know i can't do it perfectly but like i can figure out someone's story pretty quickly it's a, to me it's a lost art form i have known probably two or three fantastic storytellers in my life they all happen to be funny but you know storytelling isn't yeah. always about being funny um but uh since i've been watching your stuff and just kind of getting immersed in in the the world of comics again which i find so fascinating i'm realizing the importance of that the importance of what was it the the economy of words oh and, yeah and, and and it's it's so funny to me because i guess in my business i do that but in my business i get the luxury of being able to work it and work it and work it in privacy rework it until i've just got the perfect oh, d- until it's impeccable it in public it's that's the worst part of it i, I don't understand how you do that oh. it fascinates me it's it terrifies me i always tell this story i don't, I don't always tell it, but i've told this before um I, I did not like when i did that album comfortably dumb that was i had uh, probably two stories on there it's i think it was what i was best at right uh and i realized that young i was like we did a storytelling show, me and this guy DC Benny in New York, and I, and I told in that show I told uh, I told three stories during that show, the, the storytelling thing that I only did probably like five weeks of. Right. I told three or four stories that ended up on albums somewhere, and I was like, I was like, and I remember doing them and going like, I think I found my niche. I think I found that I love telling a story and I like a storytelling room. It's very different than a comedy club room. Telling a story in a comedy club room is a lot harder. So I tell the machine on Rogan and Rogan's like, that's your story. You got to learn how to tell that on stage. And I go, oh, it's not a stage story. He's like, no, it is. And he's like, and he said on the podcast, if you guys see this man live, yell the machine until he tells that story. Right. And I was like, I was like, oh, whoa. So I was in Columbus the next week. The whole crowd, Rogan was, is, has always been very big in Ohio because his co-host Red Band's from Ohio and Ohio is like death squad territory. Right. And so I'm at the funny bone. It's sold out and they're yelling the machine and it's at the end of my show. And I go, guys, I'm not going to tell it. And this kid in the front row, I wish I knew who the fuck he was. He goes, Bert, we understand it won't be good, but you have to tell this story so that it will get good. 
and he goes, "Don't worry, we'll laugh." And I was he like, said that sat he's, in the front he's coaching you basically. Row. And he's like, he's like, we under like he's a comedy fan. He goes, we understand it won't be good, but right. you got to tell it in order to make it good. Oh, that's amazing. So I told that story for four years. For four years, for one year, it bombed. Really? For a year, I told it every show for a year, and it bombed. Wow. Dude, like, like I, I think anyone that ever wants to get into comedy should hear what I'm saying. Right. I was an accomplished comedian. Right. I could do stand-up and kill for an hour. Right. And at the end of every hour, I told one story that bombed. And that's how I closed my shows. Oh, my God. Because I was like, I got to learn how to tell this story. I got to learn how to tell stories. So for four years, I invested in this story. And I kept... And it got to the place where, like, year three, it was... Even at year three... I didn't have a closer for it. Like right. I didn't have the. I, well, I remember. By the way, oddly enough, it was in Columbus once again where I realized the closer. I remember what direction I was looking in when I realized the closer, and it's something that I, <coughs> to this day, is like a a, a a a foundation of the way I tell stories. Right. And I heard in myself uh, when he spit vodka in the girl's face and shuts the door. <laughs> He said to me, and I remember, I remember I got lost on some other detail. The fact that she was Puerto Rican, this teacher was Puerto Rican, right? And I told a hacky joke there, but what he said to me was, "Fuck that bitch, this is Russia." And I thought, instantaneously, I was looking to the right of the room, and I thought, and they used to have trees on the um, on the stage at right. the at the Funny Bone, the old club. They'd have trees on each side of the right. stage, and I thought, I just planted a sapling. I bet I can let that sapling grow. And at the end of the story, in my head, I'm doing, I'm still telling the story. Right. But I you're go, thinking this. I go, I just found out how I'm going to close this story. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I get to the end of the story and I say to the cop, he goes, so I understand you're in the machine. That's where I thought it ended. That's where I thought the story was over, but it felt always fell flat. And I, th I thought, oh my God, I just figured out this story. And I, and I said to him, I'm not in trouble. And the cop gets so close to me, I can smell his morning cigarette. And he says, no, fuck that bitch. This is Russia. Oh, and then the story's man. over. And I went, dude, if I hadn't told it for four, four years. fucking years. I just told Rogan the other day, we're, we're getting ready for my last special. And he goes, are you ready? And I said, I would like four years to work on it. <laughs> like, I wouldn't mind four more years. Like, but I think I'll always feel that way. And, uh, well, that just fascinates me. Like, uh, you know, f for me, it's just expected. You have, if you have a hit song or you have a collection of hit songs, you got to sing that song every time you perform for the rest of your life. But, but, but I believe, I believe there's something to that. Like I know as a fan, there are comics that I want to see, I want to see what Bill Burr's working on. Right. By the way, I actually, I actually, I actually don't need to see any bit he's done before. Right. Because I always like what he's working on. Yeah. Uh, same with Tommy. But w when it comes to... Because they're not really storytellers. They are they are more comics. David Tell, I, I wouldn't mind hearing some of his older jokes because they have such a place in my heart. Right. But if he chooses... I want to hear what he's writing on. He's a great joke writer. When it comes to storytelling... Ron White tells the greatest story ever in stand-up comedy. Huh. It's one of the... It's the. Have you ever heard his tater salad story? No. I'm going to bastardize it for you. It's yeah, that yeah. good of a story. Uh, and by the way, I'm not going to say that. But anyway, he doesn't tell this anymore. He told it one time. It, I think it, it really changed his career. He told it on the Blue Collar Comedy Show. He was in a bar in New York, and he was wearing a hat, and he was drunk. I am shortening this story just to get to the best part. Right. So 
and he gets kicked. They say, take your hat off, and he's not going to take his hat off. Right. And they kick him out of the bar. They beat him up, and the cops show up. And the cops start to arrest him. He goes, now I told you. And he goes, now he goes, there's something you need to know about me. I grew up in a small town in Texas. He's like, like a thousand people. It was small. Right. The guy next door to me was the arresting, was a, was a police officer. I grew up with him. The guy next door to me was the town police officer. We grew up together. He knows me. One day I get a DUI and I get put in the tank. And this guy that I grew up with, that I knew my whole life, comes to the tank and says, um, what's your name? And he goes, are you fucking shitting me? I grew up next to you. What's your name? He goes, my name is Ron White. And he goes, any aliases? And he goes, yeah, they call me Tater Salad. (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking with this guy that he grew up with. And he goes, I told you that story only to tell you this story. I'm sitting handcuffed outside New York City. And they go, I'm sorry, are you Ron Tater Salad White? And it was the best. such a great story now listen if you said to me i could go see ron white and see what he's working on i definitely want to see what he's working on he's a brilliant comic right but if you told me he's gonna he's gonna tell the tater salad story at the end i'd be like how much more for the ticket yeah yeah i'll I'll pay another 30 bucks i want to hear tater salad well how how do you decide when (laughs) when it's time to hang a joke up um i think for the most for the most part i have not decided wisely like uh, I, you know, you, you really underestimate how many people heard a joke. Like when I first released that story, um, and I would say that's my stairway to heaven. Sure. When I first told it on Rogan, I remember a million people saw it and I was like, oh, that's all. That's everyone's heard yeah, it now. Yeah. And then it got released. I told it on a comedy festival and it got, and it got 4 million people. And I was like, whoa. And then I told it for my special and I was like, all right, I'm done with it. I'm retiring it. And then I posted the joke on Facebook and it got like 30 million views. And that is the first time I realized, oh, no one's heard this joke. Right. No, actually no one's ever heard this story. Right. I had thought everyone heard it. Right. I had thought I'm telling the same story over and over again and everyone's heard it a million times. No one had heard it. Yeah. You, no you're, one knew you're who in I your was. bubble and you think, well, of course, everyone in your bubble has heard it, but... It's it's very deceiving. Sa- same way with with me in, in in my business. You know, I you know, it's very easy to think that you're super famous when you know with social media and you have all yeah. of these all of these fans every day checking in on what you're doing and reposting stuff and talking about you. But and then you meet somebody super famous and you're like, man, I'm I'm nobody. Oh, especially like when you see, like I remember being on the road and being like, yeah, I, my meet and greets are aggressive. And then I remember one day I was at the ice house with Joe and I thought we were done for the night. It was like me, Joe and Tom, I think I thought we were done for the night. And all of a sudden I realized every single person in that room is in line to take a picture with Joe. No one knows who I am. No one knows who I am. And they all want to take a picture with Joe and they all want to tell Joe their story of why he's so important to them. Right. And I remember seeing that going, Oh, I'm, I don't know what I'm complaining about with meet and greets. Right. Like this is next level. Yeah. This is something I can't, I can't wrap my head around. Yeah. And, and I, I think that really like, I, he's one of those guys that's just inspirational. I think to all of us, cause you're like, he really is doing his own fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one's making, he has no boss. He's doing podcasts in Spanish. Right. Like he's just like, he's just fucking next level. Right. 
it's hard to be friends with a guy like that because you really do have to compartmentalize the advice you get from someone like that because they are driven, they are focused, but and and you can very easily get swept up in him and be and just be like like everything Joe says is right because by the way it's really close to right a lot of times right and then right. it's really hard to be your own man and go oh no I think I can run a marathon with no training and just and be like right. oh fuck it I'll do it you know like well, or like what, going you what know. do you like how do you decide how to quench your hunger for, for like, you know, I, I heard you talking about you want to own an island. You know, you've, you've had all of these, th- you want to have a compound, all of that stuff. Yes. You still want all that stuff. Yes. What, like, what drives you to that? Do you think that you'll, do you think that you'll ever reach a point of contentment prior to that? Or do you look at somebody like Joe and his success and kind of, are you trying to, 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 are you trying to attain that success or? I think I want to do it in my own, like, that's an interesting question because I think there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people in this business. And I think once again, we talk about those people that are writing those knockoff songs. There are a lot of people that watch Bill or Joe, and I'd say those are the two probably biggest guys in our industry right now. And they watch what they're doing and they try to replicate exactly what they're doing. Right. Like there's guys trying to do a podcast because Joe does one. Right. By the way, by the way, I'm also that guy. I did a podcast because Joe told me to do it. Like he said, you need to do a podcast. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I bought all the equipment and then literally Tom Segura and Joey Diaz drove to my house hit record and said, you're doing a podcast. So I'm not like an original guy like that. My podcast is birthed out of the fact that I loved Joe's. I loved Tom's. I loved Ari's. I loved Joey's. I loved what they were doing. And I just copied them. Well, I'm sure that Joe Rogan would, would, would tell you that, that his was birthed out of something as well. You know? Yeah. He always says it was birthed out of Opie and Anthony. Yeah. There you go. Is that he watched, listen to Opie and Anthony. He loved the hang. Right. And that's why he started the podcast. But for somebody like me, I look at what you have going on and to me and, and, and listen, I've, I've had my own arc in the music industry. I've I've had the 8,000 square foot mansion with an elevator and all of that crazy stuff. Yeah. Way too many air conditioners to even wrap your head around. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, I reached a point where none of that, all of those things that I wanted, you know, the, the private gated community and all this stuff, none of it was fulfilling what I thought it was going to fulfill. I'm, I'm going to, I'm interested to, to watch where you go as you keep That's growing really this stuff. That's really interesting you say that because I think I'm on the, precipice of wondering will the that i i said this in therapy today i was like will the big house be the itch i need like i'm really happy in this house i really love this house i love that we can't are we okay oh i thought you said uh, i thought um i i love that i wake up and i yell leanne and she can hear me yeah like our house was smaller than this before and when we first built it out to this size, I went, oh, I don't like that I can't hear the girls do everything. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this big enough house. And now I'm at a place where I go, do I want Do I want a bigger house? Do I want nicer cars? Or am I really just happy? Like, I'm, I'm really happy... That's like, an that's an incredibly important question to ask yourself, especially once you start getting success, because it's very e- it's very easy, you know, once that momentum picks up, and 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 you know, different channels of of income start coming in, and and y- you know what it's like. 
once you make the first X amount, then it starts becoming easier and easier to kind of start parlaying that and making more and more. And you really have to keep yourself in check because otherwise one day you just wake up and all you think about is, fuck, I've got six air conditioners. What's, you know, what, what if one of these things falls through? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what if one, I don't ever want to be there. Like right now I get a check from a weekend of doing stand up, and I'm still like, I still go, holy shit. Like Sugar and I were talking about this the other day and we were like, we're, when it's night, when you add shows, it's really nice. You go, wow, I'm adding a show. Usually you get a hundred percent of the door and you can do the math, pause it, let's tell you what it is. It's like, you know, it's an extra, t- extra 10 grand, right? like free, like right. just, and to add a show. So when you add a show, Sugar and I are both like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Literally They'll, by saying yes. Yeah. Like, by going, yeah, let's add a show. And you know that if it's sold out two weeks ahead of time, you're going to sell 250 tickets over two weeks. It's like, and so we were talking about how great that is and how at one point that one show wasn't what we were ever making on the road for a month. Right. And then you go, the key is, and and he's making a great deal of money right now, but the key is to not overextend yourself so that you look at that added show as the norm. Right. And, and like we were, and then we were talking about, or you about, start wishing for that added show, you know, that w- when you start going for shit, I, I, I hope we can add one more show because I need this it. shit's expensive. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I don't want to be there. I don't ever want to get there. Our mortgage is like, our mortgage is nothing. Our mortgage is like 2,500 bucks. Yeah, dude. I, and I, I paid my house off and, and, and it's that's, like, that's Bill Burr mentality. That's the, that's the best day of your life. I would like to pay my house. I don't know if I can. I would. I would like to pay my house off, and own it free and clear. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that'll happen. But then part of me goes, "What if I could get myself? What if I could get myself to the next level in a house, maybe right. where we still have a low mortgage? Like we put a bunch of money down and still have a low mortgage, and then we have a nice, really nice house." Like our buddies just bought, our, one of our, my buddies just bought like a $2.5 million house, right? Really nice. Really, right. really nice. In the Valley, just huge. Just huge. Legit. Huge. And uh, and then all of a sudden, one of the lead guys for this movie that he was working on uh, wasn't, it wasn't happening. Like, and, oh, and the, I'm just getting, I'm getting stressed out just thinking about what you're going to tell me. And the movie started going away oh. and he was like, oh my God, that can't happen. Like I've got, you know, uh, $15,000 I have to pay in mortgage every month or whatever. Right. And he's like, I, this, luckily the movie went, but there was a, there was a week where he was really tough to be around. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I saw I, that and I was like, I don't want that. Imagine how, imagine writing <laughs> jokes under that kind of pressure. And that's what the music industry is. Absolutely. Because the music industry in a weird way is just like, like flaunt it. Like, like get the, get the nice house, get the sports car. It is. And that's, that's, you've just described exactly where I'm at in my career is I have finally just gotten fed up with that because in my, in my business, none of it's real. Uh, We were talking about this on, on my podcast the other day. Out of all the rock stars that I know, all of the the famous people that I know, I don't know one of them 
you're going to be the first one. I don't know one of them where their Instagram or their social media account is real, that it's actually what their life is like because they're all fucking stressed out and they're all, you know, dealing with, with real life things. I don't understand why once we get some success, we feel the need to even polish it up more and make it look more unreal than it is. That seems so unusual to me. That's why I appreciate what you're doing because you're just, you're no bullshit. In, In my business, I just feel like I'm just constantly surrounded by bullshit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bullshit on our side of it. I was talking to Delia about it the other day, and D- D- Chris Delia is just very funny. So on his Instagram, he's just being funny. He doesn't do shit like uh, sold out show. So uh, shows sold out this weekend, which is one of the like, why are you posting that? Like, why are you telling people your shows are sold out? Right. If you're adding a show, tell people you're added a show. Right, but right. don't be like shows are sold out. You know, like what's up, guys? Yeah. Like, and a lot of people do that. They'll just put a tweet sold out show, and you're like, we, I don't I, understand I, what purpose that serves. I, I mean, literally, it makes if you, you feel good, I mean, and I've done it by the it way, makes I've done you it. Feel good, but at the expense of almost everyone that's tuning in to watch you because it just makes them feel shitty about well, themselves. Every comic. It, every comic goes like, oh, great. I know you're doing great. Like it's, it's, it's a reflection. We lo- look at ourselves inwardly and we're like, oh, great. And, but then, but then, uh, I guess the theory is that fans see it and they're like, oh, I got to get tickets. His shows sell out. I guess. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I've done it. Like I did it. Like, I, like I did it out of pride. I, I went to Australia and I sold out like, uh, five cities and they were all like, I think the smallest one we did was like 900 seats and I was really proud of that and I felt like I felt like this is by the way this is ego talking entirely I felt like no one's gonna know that I had sold out shows in Australia if I don't tell them hey and listen and there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with boasting about that stuff we worked very hard I was like I was like if a tree falls in the forest does anyone know that it was sold out (laughs) and I just was like I was like fuck this and I took video and I was like sold out fucking shows listen there's nothing wrong with that I I think what I'm getting at is there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do you work hard but then there's also it, it is married to like it is married to um to this narcissism it's yeah. it, like it's nothing there's there's one thing to be proud about it but like then it's also like like not to bring up tom so much in this podcast but tom will never tell you if he sold out a show like he just does not give a fuck bill burr will never post that shows are sold out right he just won't do it if it shows out it'll tell you i remember when you're this is my favorite this is my favorite Bill Burr uh, quote. By the way, and I'm probably misquoting it. So when you're a comic, when you so the, the levels of comic are uh, you get like a thousand bucks is like first buy-in, and then and you get to like two thousand bucks, and you get to three thousand bucks, and you right. get three thousand in bonuses. Right. Then you get like five thousand in bonus, four thousand bonuses, higher bonuses. When you get to like six grand. Uh, you you could you could argue you could get a percent you could start negotiating a percentage deal but for like in a weird way for some reason six grand's where you stop getting like it's six grand in bonuses and then it's a flat buyout for ten grand right like it just jumps because there's a, it just there aren't people that sell tickets in between that there there's no one that's so doing, ten grand is kind of the ceiling for ten once you want ten grand is like. I, I swear are to you God, talking, it, are you talking clubs? Yeah, this, clubs, okay, clubs. Yeah, okay. just clubs, just got clubs. It. Theaters get really confusing. Okay. Um, so you go like six grand, and then all of a sudden you make a leap from six grand to ten grand. It's like a ten grand buyout because they figure anyone who's making six grand is probably going to hit their bonuses, does pretty good radio, 
And then in a weird way, the agents just negotiate to 10 grand. So right. then you do 10 grand. So right. you're like, okay. And then it, then the leap goes, and there's some comics that just go, I want to buy out. Like, give me, uh, give me 15 grand. That's all I want. You know, yeah. I just, I don't want to worry about ticket prices. I don't want to have to worry about promoting it. That's on you. Yeah, I get it. Give me fifth. There's it, it. There are guys like that. Like I would say, I'm not gonna say names, but like some older SNL guys are just like, I don't want to deal with the fucking headache of promoting shows. Just give me a buyout. Even if it's like five grand less than what I could get if I had a door deal. Right. But then you get door deals. And once you get door deals, you start getting emails from your agents every day about your tickets. Right. They give Dilly and I were talking about this yesterday. And you like, especially you're doing a theater, like I'm doing a theater this weekend and I'm watching it sold like it sold 96% like a month ago. Right. And then I think they 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 opened up 200 seats that right. they didn't think they were going to sell. Right. And because it was sold out for so long, I think people didn't know about it. So these last 200 have just been moving like fucking a snail. Jeez. So I look at it every day. I look at it every day. I always get an email. And I'm that's like, not good. I right? like, watch. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how many tickets I sold yesterday. This is, <laughs> by the way, I find this, this is my favorite. Delia and I were like literally bullshitting about this i j i go to the t- I type in ticket and it comes up uh jesus christ i guess i'm got a lot of offers to go to rocket games oh i spelled ticket wrong i'm a fucking idiot i think i got cte <laughs> here okay ready so jesus did i spell it again wrong T-I-C-K. Okay. So Brandon Norman sends me my ticket counts every day. Shout out to Brandon Norman at UTA. Uh, and so I, I open it up. With, I'm with Talia. And I look. And I sold nine tickets yesterday. Right? We're still... Like now we're 100 tickets away. How do you away. feel about that? We're 100 tickets away. <laughs> we're less than 100 tickets away. We are 90 tickets away from being sold out. But I go, nine fucking tickets? Yeah, it's like, fuck, only nine people care about me today? So yeah, so but I, I go and I go, okay, that, those shows are... so Okay, that that's moving nicely. Okay. And then I'm like, oh, I'm a little worried about Santa, Laugh Out Loud Comedy Club in San Antonio. Oh, uh, you're getting way too deep into this It's because you start... It's terrible. You start, and then you go, okay, I got to do a promo video to promote that because then the club will get it. They'll blow it out to their fans. Right. And so I go, okay. So one night I'm talking to Bill Burr and I go, uh, I go, uh, you get your ticket count still? And he goes, he just smiles. He goes, nah. I said, you don't, you don't stress about that shit? And he goes, Burr, they all sell out. <laughs> And oh, I go, shit. I go, I said, get me to that place in my life where you just go. By the way, Bill Burr doesn't give a fuck. That's if awesome. he's short a hundred tickets, he doesn't care. Right. That's fucking, so what? So what? I, I lose a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. If Bill Burr's second show sells half, he goes, fine, I'll do a show for half. He doesn't care. He does not give a fuck. And Segura's that way. Joe's that way. Like, but, and then, but Dilly and I were like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I look at, I look at ticket counts. Sure, right. Like it's, it's almost fun because you work so hard in this business. Yeah. Listen, it's, it, it is fun to be able to watch the business working. There's no question about oh, that. Oh yeah. There's this, uh, there's a, a publishing company that I'm, that I'm looking at right now that has an app <laughs> that oh, literally, God. dude, in oh, real time, God. in real time tells you how much so- your song is making. And so I was in a meeting with them and he pulled it up and he says, you want, I, I forget the artist. Let's just say like Drake. You yeah. want to see how much this song, you know, whatever it is, whatever the title is by Drake pulls it up and it's just like a fucking ticker tape. It's just going and going and going. I'm like getting anxiety watching the dollars just fly into this kid's bank that. account. I would love that. I know you would. It's, I would love that. You'd, you'd love it for a few minutes and then it would just be brutal because was, then you start seeing it slow down and you're like, what do I do? What do I, I do? I was obsessed with, 
uh, and everyone that knows my podcast knows what I'm about to say. I was obsessed with a thing called Google Trends. So yeah. Google Trends would track you, your popularity online, yeah. and you'd watch yourself spike. And so you knew that if you did something big, you'd spike. And I was obsessed with it. I would go on every day. I would check out how many people were Googling me that day, over the <laughs> week, over the month, over 10 years, oh, and I would man. watch it. And then I'd, I'd compare myself to other people and go, ooh, that, that person, uh, name I won't say right now, had a Netflix special and all of a sudden I'm bigger than, I'm not, I haven't even been on Netflix and I'm bigger than that person? Right. Oh, nice, okay. Yeah. All right, this one had a, I remember Christina Pajinski outspiked me, and I went, okay, good, 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 good. Right. She had a Netflix special, and I remember thinking, if I get a Netflix special, I could spike where she's at. I was like, nice, okay. And then, I, and then I'd like, and like, I'd watch Tommy, and I'd see him spike when his special air, and I'd be like, yeah, I got to get on Netflix. Like, and so I'd track it, and then it got to the point where I went, I'm never touching it again. Yeah. I'm never looking at it again, because I don't think it's healthy. Because what was happening was, I was almost like stuck in a, in, in a, in a tr on a treadmill going like, I got a spike today. Oh, it's rough, man. I I, I learned had a similar experience just watching the the charts. You know, watching my songs climb the charts, and oh. the first few times you're watching the songs climb the charts, it's very exciting. You know, you get pumped up. You're like, I can do more of this. I can do more of this. Yeah. And then it gets to the top, and you're like, I'm king of the world. And then it starts going minus spins, and it starts because inevitably everything starts dropping. And the minute that the minute it reaches its peak and starts going down, it gets so fucking hard to get back in the studio and write something you're like why should i write a song they don't care about me they've already stopped you know they've stopped listening to me they don't care it's such a rejection it's a oh, terrible yeah. thing to do it's a terrible it, it, it's so it's fleeting addictive. everything's fleeting it is we, i remember when when i first started selling tickets this last year or whatever i you know and i i i talking about tommy a lot i made fun of him pretty bad in the open but uh I remember saying to him, like how long does it last and he goes it if you keep working hard it stays around here and he was like, and I go, I feel like it's it, fleeting. It stays around like a it, certain you can, you point can where do, You can always do clubs. You can always do clubs. Theaters are, you know, and the next conversation, will you go to theaters? How can you go to bigger theaters? Right. You see guys like Sebastian doing 18,000 seats in a venue. You see, you, you see Rogan doing, you know, fucking 10,000 seats in a venue, getting right. stuck in traffic jams. Right. And you go, okay, will I get there? And then I remember Tommy and I going like, we're cool here. We're yeah, cool with clubs. Yeah. We're cool clubs. Let me do a theater run and I'll do one of those and then I'll go back to clubs. And yeah. then, you know what? And then I'll do another theater run and then back to clubs. And so, but it is, there is the weird feeling that is it fleeting? Is it disappearing? Do, are you out of, and then it gets unhealthy. You start cannibalizing your life by putting everything on Twitter and Instagram and getting online and flipping online. And you're not living a real life that was the guy that you were when you started writing right, material. Right, which exactly. is Which is something you said yeah. in your podcast. The one I listened to was that, you become this, you, you lose the kid that moved out here yeah. to follow the dream. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I find more often than not now, I have to go back to earlier stuff that I did, earlier songs that That's I did. so funny. We were cleaning my fucking man cave out today, and I had a joke book that said, uh, fuck bitches, make money right and i and leanne's and immediately leanne's like you should keep that because yeah. that's whatever brain wrote on the front of their notebook fuck bitches make money yeah that was a dude on his way up that was a dude that was hungry yeah and it was it was creative and i i do that a lot now and and you know i i think that um uh, for me personally um i had to find 
my level of success that worked well for me. And it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It, it wasn't the mansion. It wasn't the island. It wasn't private jets and all that shit. Fortunately, I got to do all of that stuff. Well, not the island. Yeah. Um, but I got to do all of that. And I very quickly realized, oh, this is just not at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, and you just got to find where your you know, where your plateau is. And then I think that if you're smart and you're talented, you can sustain that plateau as long as you need to. And if you don't invest too much of your personality into it, if you don't invest your, like I remember Patrice O'Neill told me one time, um, it's all about raising your base. He goes right now, my base, he goes, they can't take stuff away from me. He goes, my base at the time was, I can go out and I can make $2,000 every week for an entire year right and no one can take that away from me right and he goes all i want to do is raise my base at the time i got a sitcom he goes your your problem is you got launched up here where you're making x amount of dollars a week and they can take that away from you and when they take that away from you bert i remember him saying like bert you go back to work in the door like you don't you don't have a base right you need to create a base my base at one point this is going to sound so silly was uh was uh town cars like the fact that I could get in town car, huh. I remember being like in that town car one time and going, they can totally take this away from me. Yeah. Like I like I like riding in town cars. I like yeah. not driving. I like going to work in a town car and then coming home and not having to worry about, and I can have drinks. Yeah. I like that. And I was, I remember I was driving, it was right when Bert the Conqueror was getting canceled and I was driving out to, uh, to, uh, uh, What's the theme park about the berries? Berry, Knott's Berry Knott's Farm. Knott's Berry Farm. Right. And I was in a town car, and I thought, this is going away. Like, this like this is rich people See, living. See, that sucks. That feeling, that that reality sucks, and it kind of, it can take the joy out of any moment. Yeah, it takes, because you, you do fly in a private jet, and you go, so this is... This is the one time I get to do this, or this this will never happen again. Like right. you, and you don't want your personality attached to it, right, so that right. you're like... So that it has to be the norm because then the bottom out, like there's still guys that fly coach and they yeah, go, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't ever want to taste the fucking nectar that's first class. Right. And, right. and, and it's, it's really fucking fascinating to me. I, I think about that, but, but you the think about of, those things like the, 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 you know, the town car, the, the private jet, a lot of that stuff. It's, we've all experienced that. But how often it ha- how often has it actually been on our dime? It's usually because Never. yeah, it's usually because you know some somebody has flown you out someplace or you know the uh, the promoter is is need you like I, we 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 took private jets a few times on tour and of course it's always great, but it's usually because you have to get from one place to another and somebody is somebody's footing the bill for that. Not you, not your performance, not anything about you, but it, you you get kind of sucked into that. You know, I mean, obviously town cars, we we end up paying for town cars, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but. It, it it is it's almost like that drug you get little taste you get little taste of that drug and you think ooh this is great without any sense that i didn't earn one bit of this i've that's ridden the, on a lot of confusing. private jets i've never earned a private jet in my life oh I, I i've never paid for a private jet in fact one time i we were on tour and uh and we had there was a problem with the bus and i thought oh you know what we'll just charter a private jet i'll i'll, I'll call my brother and and you know see i you know he works for for net jets <laughs> And he called me. It was literally like a half hour flight. And he's like, yeah, I think I can give it to you guys for about $70,000. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You're my brother. He's yeah. like, that's a discount, dude. 
dude i at one point i planned a tour on a tour bus because i was always i've always wanted a tour bus yeah, i was yeah. like i was like i want to get a tour bus i'm gonna do i'm gonna go start miami go to Fort west palm fort lauderdale tampa orlando jacksonville atlanta tampa orlando jacksonville atlanta uh work my way up the coast dc philly yeah new york boston and i was like yep and so i right like not a proposal but i write out my plans send it to my agents send it to my managers cc my wife and my manager judy uh it is just very pragmatic and she texts back emails in the email it would be cheap just so you know it would be cheaper for you to uber to these places (laughs) than it will be for you to get a tour bus (laughs) now she goes you will make no money right and and she's like so just so you know you can do this but you'll lose money doing this and i was like oh why would i fucking do that yeah she was like yeah it just doesn't make sense yeah and then you look at people on tour buses and you're like it's a lot of times it's it's like I got an offer to tour bus for a tour I was going to do, but it was it was given to me by the promoter. Yeah, yeah. A and you're like, okay, so you need, so that's what I need to do. Yeah, that's that's the only way to do it. I, I was on tour uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, I'm an avid golfer, and I was so t- I'd been on the road a long time, traveling in a tour bus, very nice situation. It was very cushy, and uh, I was in my bunk one night, and I was thinking, I was talking to a few of my buddies, saying, we got to plan a golf trip. Once this tour is done, let's let's do this. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'll get us a tour bus, and, <laughs> and we'll go hit all of these different points in Florida. It'll be awesome. Yeah. And then I started running the numbers on it. And I thought this is just ridiculous. It really is. <laughs> it really is. It's so much more cost effective to fly first class to New yeah. York than yeah. it is to get in a tour bus and drive to New York. Absolutely. It's. It really does. Like like it's. It costs. Uh, 400 bucks to fly to Sacramento from LA first, first class. class right 400 bucks yeah or you can get a tour bus and it'll cost you twenty thousand dollars exactly and you're exactly. like well I just gonna fly and then fly home fuck it right as opposed to I don't know I still have a I've, I've had my heart set on a tour bus so wait so talk to me for if you could about the leap from songwriter almost producer putting out your own solo albums to getting into a band and right. being like a legit well i had um i had produced uh a few rock bands in a row i'd i'd produced uh let's see I, I think i was producing the scorpions record at the time uh and um and uh nicky from motley crew i i'd become friends with him because i had produ- the best looking uh, of the group uh, arguably yeah, yeah yeah not even arguably anymore but poor tommy lee did you see the thing about tommy lee and his son yeah that was just terrible. a fight that was terrible see my problem is i have always had a like an affinity for tommy lee like, oh he's I, a wonderful guy i and i and i and part of me says i don't want him to quit drinking like i like that he still drinks like yeah. and i know that he sounds like he's got a problem with it but like but like part of me is like no man because once you quit then we all gotta quit yeah listen he's he is I'll, I'll tell you this i've known tommy sober and i've known him not sober and he's a lovely guy uh no matter what um yeah. and uh he is he's just a great spirit um <coughs> so so for me i i you know i prefer him sober just because it's healthier and, yeah. and you know for anyone that that you know eventually drinking is going to start wearing you down oh, as I've, well i've cut back yeah. so drastically but it's, but you're one of these guys that it's not a problem you're actually you're actually joyful to be around when you're drinking it's 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 uh, that's the way i was i yeah. was i was a fucking happy <laughs> drunk man i was 
I was a blast when I was when I was drinking. Um, but also, I just reached a point where, you know, because of my lifestyle, because of the career that I was in, I could start drinking at ten in the morning, and I did. Uh, uh, yeah, that that crept up on me. Um, and that Australian tour was the first time it really happened, where I could drink whenever I wanted and it was Australia so it was a little acceptable yeah there and by the way it's sold out venues that it's just my fans so if I did have a buzz on stage no one really gave a fuck yeah and like I mean I went on TV and I drank beer out of a shoe and it and it and they were like the one place Melbourne that we we're having a hard time moving sick tickets sold out immediately right so like you're like oh, okay it's Australia um and I was flying every day and performing every night. So I get to the airport. I'd have a cocktail at the airport, a couple cocktails on the plane, land, take a nap, cocktails at the show. And then I had two days off in Sydney, but I'm on this regiment of cocktails in the morning yeah. and I got a day off cocktail. By in the, the way, morning. there's nothing better than drinking in the morning, man. Oh my God. And, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, this is caught up to me. Uh, this is. And then I started to be like, okay, we got a new rule. There's no more drinking in the morning unless you got a few days to rebound this off. Yeah, like yeah. you can't drink in the morning and then get right back out and go start working again. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that that caught up to me. And then I and then we did that sober October. We did a big yeah yeah sober October. How'd that go? Thing. By the way, it was great. It was yeah. great, and I think I learned a lot. But mostly, what I learned is I don't. There's no and and I think people don't know this about me or do know it doesn't really matter like i heard one guy said something online and i was like bro you don't know me like you don't hang out with me mm. and i don't hang out with you so like he was like he was like you gotta stop drinking you're gonna die in, a, in like a month and i was like hold on you don't know me like you don't realize what i do know yeah, and then i told him i said you need to stop roller skating and he wrote back, I don't roller skate. I go, how would I not know that? I thought we knew each other. Like, yeah. And so like now the one thing I accrued from it was not drinking on the road on nights. I don't need to drink like, like a Saturday night. I won't drink. I'll go back and I'll get a, get sleep and get on the, get on the flight home. Um, not drinking at home. Like right. I, I don't drink at home really. And so. So you've like, got I, that part figured out. You, yeah, I just don't drink at home. So like if I'm home, like tonight I'm doing a private event and I'm certain they brought me there to have drinks. So right. I'll have drinks. I don't care. It's right. I'm working. Um, but like I didn't drink for the last 14 days while I was home. Right. Well, we were sick, but I just did. I don't need to drink. Well, for me with, with, uh, you know, I've got a pretty excessive personality. I'm not really, I don't really have an addictive personality, but I've got an excessive personality, especially, especially with my bipolar. So I have these manic things that are just like insane happiness. Like I wish everyone that I know and love could, could experience that level of happiness. Because I have it's those. Awesome. We call it firing hot. Yeah. Dude. And then we found out it was my thyroid. I had an overactive <laughs> thyroid <laughs> and I would, cause I, what would happen to me is I would fire hot and it would be I'm, I'm being dead serious when I say this and I think I, I think I have it too it would be I was so on fire I could start a religion and you would join it like yeah, I yeah. could start a religion I remember yeah. one time I was on a boat in Lake Havasu with a group with 12 people and I or maybe maybe it was probably like fifteen people, and it was all for my crew, and I was 
And I was watching my friends that I had known for the five years we had toured together on this TV show. And they were watching me like, this is magic. Bird is in a zone right You're now. killing it. And I was killing it. Really? I got us all in. We listened to In Excess. We all held hands and sang it to each other. And and like people are crying and they're like, oh my God, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, yeah. I flew home that night. I got home and I threw up uncontrollably yeah. I was physically ill for two days and I had taken all that positive energy and I had borrowed it from two days yep. and I was in a down hole I was in a spiral that I could not get the fuck out of dude it's it's rough you know and and something that um that that people like us who who have a certain level of success and we, you know I, I don't know what your situation is but you when you reach a point where you're not thinking about money every day yeah. you know uh and you're a drinker and you're can be an excessive drinker that's where it got dangerous for me really? you know because i i love to treat people to I, I love my favorite thing is to take people out my friends out for dinners and 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 spend lots of money on them and make them feel good and and you know and like for me i was a i was i would was a pretty heavy drinker but like i said i was always fun to be on i had a lot of those type of religious moments where i was just fucking killing it yes. you know and you you wake up the next day and you're like man i was a star last night and, yep. and and until one day my uh my accountant called me not my business manager who this was his business to do but my accountant who literally just does my taxes and he says james i stay out of your business most of the time you know that right and i was like yeah and he goes how the fuck can you spend $1,200 at a Buffalo Wild Wings? And, and I was just like, oh man, yeah, this is, this is bad. And I, it was just because I was just out buying drinks for people and yeah. it was just me and a couple of guys. And that, so for me, my decision to stop drinking was, it was literally a, a, a financial decision. It was, it was, I never, nobody ever sat me down and said, you're drinking too much. Yeah. For me, it was just like, because you pair that with, with the, those manic episodes oh, that I go yeah. through, I've, I mean, the decision-making was just through the roof crazy and so for for me stopping drinking was the best thing that i ever did decision i i haven't paid for a drink see i was wondering about that that's that's got to be i haven't paid uh, for a drink i haven't paid for a drink i mean and we're talking about you know i haven't paid for a drink Jesus. Jesus. This is a very interesting pause here. I really couldn't tell you. See, that's that's some serious stuff right there. Well, that's that's where it, it's problematic because everyone wants to buy me a drink. Even times where right. you would buy a drink, like like I fly a lot, so even when I'm at the in the in the Admirals Club at, yeah, for yeah. American, well, first of all, all my drinks are free because I'm of my status. Yeah. So I don't have to pay. And uh, like you go into the, the lounge and it's just you, a, it's a bar. Uh, it's beyond. It's a next level. You've flown a lot, huh? I fly fucking. Jeez. Yeah. If it was for Travel Channel was what the really Oh, did yeah, it. of course. Because they were all first class tickets. So I was, I was, I had a month where I flew back and forth from Italy four times. Good like, Lord. and so the, and those are $20,000 tickets. Yeah, yeah. So, um, or what, probably 12000 or 11000 maybe nine. But anyway, so when I go, where I go, it's, it's a full bar and you make your own cocktails yeah. in American. Um, but yeah, I, I just, uh, I was wondering about that with you. I mean, that's, you're, you're, you're kind of locked into it now. Well, at the store, like I will like, so like at the store, I'll go and I'll get a drink and I'll, 
Like they don't make you pay, but I'll give the guys twenty bucks or something. Right. I'll tip them out twenty bucks every time I get a drink, just because I, I have money. You're making money at the store. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I try not to leave home with that money. I try to give it to the guys working there. Right. Um, yeah. So I think I, I don't, I don't buy, I don't really buy drinks. You know, and we don't really go out to eat like me and my family, and I don't really drink with the girls. Like I'll have, like if we have friends over, I'll have a drink or something, or I'll drink, but. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, see, see, that's that's a big difference. I uh, about f- about a year or two before I stopped drinking, uh, we were doing my taxes, and I had fourteen thousand dollars of alcohol alone uh, on taxes, and I thought this is just, but but that wasn't that was just normal, you know. Yeah. That was just if you were paying for your own drinks, I guarantee you'd be you'd be three times that. Well, anytime I get to a club, there's a handle of Tito's waiting for me. Yeah, and then at the club. Uh, usually they'll set up a bar in the green room for me. Yeah. But I don't drink before I go on stage. I don't drink on stage. I'll bring a Tito's and soda with me on stage. Won't touch it. I'll drink it on the late show when I start telling the machine story. And then I leave that Tito's there in the green room. Usually Tito's sends me Tito's to my hotel room. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like their local reps will be like, oh, I know you're in town. I'll send you a snowboard or whatever. They send me weird shit sometimes. Right. But usually it's a package with a couple bottles of Tito's and some glasses. And then and then I drink at the club for free. And that was that, that would be all my drinking for the weekend would be at the club or at the airport. And those are all taken care of. Right. And uh, I got to say, binge watching your, your uh, podcast, it's it's made me miss drinking. Not 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 in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm living vicariously through you because, you know, just to see you pour those big, big glasses. Of oh, Tito's. that's that, that was my I, that, I had to stop with I was making 32 ounce uh, Tito's and sodas. Yeah. That was really catching up to me. Yeah. I remember someone said to me, uh, I'm not I can't, I'm not going to tell you the idea of the show, but I'm doing another show. Uh, I'll tell you I'll, I'll tell you off air. I can't I don't even know if I can. Uh, we were saying in the, in the premise of the show, we were saying someone said, we we're talking about me and a couple guys and a bottle of, uh, just a bottle of Jack Daniels. Right. And someone said that would be like five drinks per person. And I went, by the way, just so you know, my first drink is five drinks. Yeah, like my first drink surprised. is five drinks. Like, like. Like I, I've poured five drinks for my first drink, so like yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but but I, I've pulled that back, and I, th- I think I pulled that back astronomically. Um, mostly, I think I just set up little things like I like the marathon for me was like a good reason not to drink. Yeah. So I go, oh, fuck it. I'm, I know who wants to drink if you're going to be running a marathon. How, you've done it, right? I do it this week. Oh, it's coming but, up. Yeah, but like, but like, I'll be in. I'll be. In, there's a perfect example. It's Friday night. I'm in Grand Rapids, and Founders Brewery is one of my favorite places in the world. And yeah. So, but and I don't even really drink beer anymore. But I'll have beers that night. Yeah. On, on Friday night, I won't drink on the flight home Saturday. I won't drink um, Saturday at all. Um, and then see drinking on flights was one of my favorite drinking in airport bars, one of my favorite things. And then drinking on flights was one of my favorite things. I think it's oh, something about the altitude. Drinking on planes is pretty fucking. It's amazing. awesome. It's pretty fucking amazing. You just, yeah, you solve all the world's problems. You, you just, it, I, I love it. I, I used, might just I drink. I might it. drink Friday morning when I do the radio show, I might drink founders Friday morning and then sleep, do the show, not drink, get up early for my flight fly home sober saturday don't drink all saturday run the marathon sunday morning yeah that's what i'll probably are do. you seriously gonna drink the day before the marathon no, no 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 saturday i won't drink okay i might in the morning but i won't drink at night 
<laughs> I don't know. I yeah. I did. I've done. I've done. I did half marathons like this though. So but, like, to, but the weeks leading up, I'm, if as long as I'm not drinking a lot, weeks leading up. Then by the I, way, you're in great shape. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Are, do you know? You don't feel like you're in great shape. I'm in great shape right now. I feel really good. Uh, yeah, you I look feel great. better than I've felt in a long time. Um, but wait, I want to get back to. I want to get back to. Uh, the band and 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 yeah, how you so, met Nikki. And- so uh, so I uh, ended up um, writing and producing um, the last Motley Crue record where all four original members um, uh, performed together on it, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to pull it off because there was they weren't all getting along. Um, so I kind of got thrown into the middle of that and was able to successfully bring it together and 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 create a really great record actually uh, called saints of los angeles and during that time you know nikki and i had uh, become really close friends and we're starting to write a lot of songs together and um one thing led to another and we just decided to start this little side project and the whole point of the side project was to kind of push the boundaries of music we we all were doing very well in our in our day jobs uh, so to speak um so let's create this thing where we can kind of push the boundaries break the rules a little bit not really not really do what el- what's going on in the music industry um and that side project turned into the band 6am uh and we ended up just completely uh, accidentally uh, with uh, a hit song called Life is Beautiful, um, which took me by surprise. I wasn't even supposed to be the singer in the band. I was just going to be writing and producing it. And then we then we figured that if something were to happen, I would help them audition singers. Um, but I have a pretty broad vocal range uh and so when it came time to consider uh you know finding uh, somebody to actually sing it it was tough uh it was tough to find a a male vocalist that could hit all of those notes and 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 reach those ranges so i just kind of decided well i'll go ahead and and, you know i'll go ahead and just be the singer in this project we're not going to tour we're not going to do anything well then lo and behold we end up getting a hit song uh and then we had to shoot a video. I'm like, well, I'm not really, this isn't really a band, but uh, okay, I'll go ahead and shoot the video. So we shoot a video and then we get another hit song and we're like, ah, I'm st- we're still not really a band, but sure, I'll shoot the next video. And that's that's how 6AM kind of unfolded was just, you know, it was a, a labor of love and we had no expectations for it. And it ended up, you know, we've we are now five studio albums in a decade long career and uh, and it's just it's been wonderful i mean i've toured the world i've you know played night after night for 80,000 people and you know big festivals and stuff and and it's just been an incredible experience uh, but certainly not something that that well it was something that i was counting on happening in my 20s but not in my 40s yeah that's insane did it was it was it what you thought it would be parts of it yes um there is you know this and anybody that has been able to perform in front of a large audience and really dominate really kill it there is no greater feeling in the world like when you walk off stage and you're like i fucking killed it it is godly um and and it fills your head with all sorts of chemicals that nothing else on this planet can do you know what that's like um and that can become very addictive. Uh, that part of it, yeah. I mean, everything that you can possibly imagine about that, absolutely, 100%, yes. Yeah. All of the fantasies about being a rock star, yeah, they're all there. They're all real. Um, 
but along with that, for somebody like me that that uh, I, I really don't like, um, I don't like presenting myself in a way that's not really me. Yeah, I found that every ounce of who I was presenting myself uh, as was not the real me. I was playing a character for, for 10 years. I played a character and it broke my heart because, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty honest guy and, and I, I like to have real conversations with people about real things. And I'm very interested in, in, I'm, I'm very interested in just the dynamics of life and, and how people interact and stuff. You don't get to do any of that stuff when you're playing a character all the time. So, yeah. so that part of it was, was really disappointing to me. And, and the part that I found the most troubling was the fact that fans were buying into that. You know, when I would meet fans and, and they would pour their heart out to me about how a song that I had written had affected them it, it it made me feel like a fraud. Yeah. You know, and, and that part was really hard for me. I'm still struggling with that. And, and that's partially why I'm, that's a big reason why I'm doing the podcast now. And I'm, I'm trying to find forums where I can just be myself, you know, and, 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 and not be wearing the, the, the eyeliner and, and doing all the stuff that you have to do when you're in that world. I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to carve out a career for the second half of my career where I can still experience some of those great things, but do it on my terms and do it in a, in a way that is honest and, and that I don't feel like a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that we feel that in stand up. I think podcasting's kept me sane. I can imagine. Because all the stuff I share, I share, I mean, this is as, I mean, I'm in workout clothes. I'm not like dressed. I'm not. I know this is cam I'm on camera, but I'm not like I, I never really thought of the like that people would be like, "Why is Bert like someone's like you play with your toes a lot?" And I was like, "Oh, that's who I am," you know. Like, see, but I, I got to tell you, Bert, I I love that, and, and and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You're you're actually a huge inspiration to me for this transitional stage of my life. Oh, thank you. Because I watch how you talk about life. I watch how you talk about your family. Um, and I, and just the, the level of, of honesty and sincerity about that without any filters is something that I am craving in my life. And, and uh, it's so funny you say that because I was listening to you talk about how you find Los Angeles to be a soulful place. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I don't see the life like that. Like I look at Los Angeles, I look at, I'm such a cynic at times that I just look at like, I look at like, I don't, I, I, I have a hard time seeing the beauty of things. Right. Like I remember, like this is my view of Los Angeles is, uh, is I go, there's so many people that came out here with a dream. Like their dream was attached to their, their happiness was attached to a dream. Right. Right. And so many people don't get their dream that you do run into the negativity of the dream killers like That's the first thing you run into. Yeah, yeah. And then you were like, oh, I find Los Angeles to be such a soulful place. And then I started thinking to myself, hold on. Wait, when I came out with a dream, I thought it was a soulful place too. I was like, wait, what's happening to me well, that now I just see dream killers listen that that's the real but <coughs> but what i'm what i meant by that and and i firmly believe this is that 
you just described it. People come here for one reason, to become a star. We both know that the, to fix all their problems, right? And to change who they are and become the version that they always wanted to be right. of themselves. But we both know that the odds of that being of happening are so slim. Ugh. You know, one in whatever, one in a million, whatever it may be. So most people come out here, they go through a terrible, crushing heartbreak of, of a shattering of their dreams, and then they eventually leave. They go back to where they came from and they pick up the pieces and they try to, to make sense of it all. But for the few people that stay out here and stick it out, even though their dreams have been crushed, they have to go through a level of soul searching just to stay sane that most people will never go through in their lives. Yeah. And those people have created a community out here of what I believe are some of the most soulful people on the planet. My wife. I, there you go. That's My a perfect example. Yeah. As you're saying that, as you're saying that, I'm thinking Leanne came out to be an actress and right. then shifting into being a writer, right. had some success as a writer and then got pregnant Yeah. and then was a mom for 13 years, Yeah. just floating around, but, and, and did all she's done is soul searching. That's all she's ever done. And she sees things differently. I remember there was this guy who was quitting acting and comedy and he was moving home and they were having a goodbye party for him. And I said, and I thought, wow, that's so funny. And any other city you go to a going away party, like a goodbye party, a bon voyage party is always so exciting. Yeah. Congrats, man. Have fun in LA. I hope you do it. But right. in LA, it's the exact opposite where you're like, so I guess you're giving up. It's soul crushing. It's soul crushing. And Leanne said to me, Oh no, how brave of him to decide this isn't where his life is going to be and that he gets to start his life all over again. And I went, I didn't see that at all. I just saw him as giving up. She goes, no, you're looking at it wrong. Yeah. And I think it was because Leanne had to give up on her dream of being an actress or being a, a, a screenwriter or a movie producer and transition into being a mother and a wife of a comedian who's following his dream. Right. And I think that's why she loves doing this podcast now because she's like, oh yeah, like I, the dream's not dead. I get to do something creative. Yeah. You don't have, like things have changed so much in this business that you can be creative in so many different venues. Yeah. And, and it's what I think is really cool about your podcast is that like, you know, like there's, we're, we're inundated with comics talking about comedy and talking about life and talking sure. about working out and, and fucking shit in their pants. Right. But there's very few people who have seen the life you've had and are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that it's, it's honestly, it's the most important thing I've ever done in my career is this podcast. Really? Uh, it's, it is very quickly becoming everything to me. Um, because, I have been craving talking honestly about life. Here's the ironic thing about it. I have spent my career writing songs that um, that make me appear to be, you know, just ultra sensitive guy. You know, uh, not that I, I, I listen. I write great songs, and I and I connect with people. I know that I, I have the ability to to write songs that connect with people and and mean something to them, but. The entire reason that I've been doing that is to, I, I don't know if this is actually w w what drives it or if it's just a byproduct of it, but people then think, oh my God, he's so sensitive. He's so honest. He's, oh, I would just love to be with somebody like that. And, and you, you, what I realized is that, no, I, I was just doing that for ego. 
You know, I was just doing that to make me feel good, to make me feel like I was important, you know, to, to boost myself. We all do that. We all yeah. want to feel important. But the irony is that the very act of being a songwriter is an incredibly selfish thing. You know, it, it destroyed a marriage of mine. Um, it, 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 you know, it took me tw- 20 years to achieve even half of the things that I wanted to achieve. And I think of all of the, the friendships that, uh, that, that fell by the wayside, the, the marriage that fell by the wayside, um, the, the, the quality, you know, relationships that I just kind of passed on because I was so focused on becoming the successful thing. And, um, and so now I'm finding that it's very cathartic for me to 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 speak about it and and open up about that a little bit and and share with people i'm I'm not trying to i'm not trying to pull back the curtain on on anything i'm not trying to throw people under the bus but i won't feel good about myself unless i you know am a bit more open and honest about how i got here and what that journey's actually been like and i think by doing that i'm realizing that um that it's painting a a slightly more realistic, you know, uh, expectation for people that are, for young kids that are thinking about getting into this business. That's, that's, I think, you know, it's so funny is I, I talk about comedy a lot on my podcast and I think people go, you know, I think a lot of people that listen to it are love comedy and they love hearing the curtain pulled back. But I wonder what effect it because it's had a big effect on me and the way I write and the way I look at comedy. I wonder what effect it'll have on the next generation of comics that all grew up listening to their favorite comics. Like if I could have started comedy and listened to David Tell talk about writing jokes for yeah. fucking an hour, I would listen to that every day. Yeah, I would listen to every episode every day, nonstop, over and over again. That's right. And I bet it'll. And my comedy has gotten better since I've podcasting. I wonder if that'll happen with your songwriting and what it'll do to the next generations of well, songwriters. Listen, this is exactly why I'm so hopeful about the future of your business and my business. I think it's about to get a lot better because when we, I'm older than you, but when 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 we were coming up. You know, you were lucky if you could get a, 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 a VHS tape that had some behind the scenes Dude. footage of something, you know, and now it's just all out there. Things like podcasts. There's so there's so much more information out there for the next generation. I'm really excited about the next generation of artists, no matter what genre, no matter what field of art you're in. I'm so excited because they've got so much information at their oh fingertips. God. And, uh, you know, it's fun for me to watch new bands coming up. You know, every, everything is cyclical. So, you know, every every generation, there's a band that sounds like Led Zeppelin. There's a band that sounds like Aerosmith. There's, you know, it, 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 it always comes back around, but it's always a new interpretation of that. Yeah. Probably the same thing in comedy. I mean, you got, you, you got to, I don't know, like who would you compare to, what is it, Lenny Bruce or, 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 or one of those guys? Well, that, I think it was Lenny Bruce, then it was Bill Hicks, then it was Stan Hope. Yeah. Like it's just, it kind of trickles down of like, he's the new this guy. Right. But it's a new twist on it. You yeah. Know? And, and that, that excites me. I, that, that's so exciting. And I think that, I think that we are in an age now where, I don't know if it's going to be the next generation or one that follows, but we're going to see, I'm just excited to see what form art takes on and, and the level of, of honesty that, that, that starts coming out of it. To me, that just thrills me. Now, what are you, now, what are you going to do on your podcast? Are you going to have, you're going to bring in other musicians? Are you going to, it's, you know, uh, the obvious thing you're is eight episodes in, right? Uh, I'm, 
I think I'm getting ready to to film my sixth or seventh. Six, okay, yeah, something six like episodes, that. Right. Uh, it's obviously uh, there will be a, a large music element to it, but um, but I, I really want to expand it. To be quite honest with you, um, I've started talking a lot about my bipolar disorder, um, and I think that that was something that startled my fans at first and my listeners. But the 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 outreach that I've gotten as as a result has, has been just absolutely oh. overwhelming. Oh yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God! And, and and you know, it's, it's all worth it when that one guy you're standing on a on a corner in New Orleans and you're not doing a meet and greet and you don't feel good and you bounce out and the one guy comes up and he grabs you and he's shaking and he goes, um, "You're talking about anxiety saved my life." So. I just want to say thank you and don't ever question because I was really fucked up and I heard you talk about it and I was like, well, fuck, if Bert's got it, then I got it. Okay. That's what it is. I'm not dying. Okay. So thanks. And you're like, yep. oh, that's why, that's why you do the podcast. That is, that's, that's why I do everything. Yeah. It is literally, I, I would, and, and I'll tell you, I just, I got an email, um, I got an email last week uh, from a grandmother and she, which was, I didn't even think the grandmothers were watching or listening to my podcast. And it was this beautiful letter where she said, (laughs) my granddaughter was just uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I didn't know anything about it. And and I think she said, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you know, I I Googled it. I tried to learn as much as I can, but I still don't feel like I can connect with my granddaughter and have a conversation with her about this thing that is so prevalent in her life. And after watching your podcast, I went and picked her up and brought her over to the house and we sat and watched your podcast together because it was one where I was talking very openly about it. And, uh, and she said that her granddaughter kept on pointing at the screen and saying, yeah, I've, I've had that happen. I felt that way. Yeah. And it was, I got to tell you, that's more than any song that I've written Oh. That, that hit me, you know, and it made me realize this is what I have to be doing. I have to be having real conversations with people about what really matters. And I want my art to reflect that moving forward. Not that my art hasn't reflected that in the past, but I think that this gives me a, a, a sense of, of approval to even maybe push that a little bit further, to open up and be a little bit more honest uh, in my art. It'll be those things. That, that'll be the thing that, like... Yeah, I think, like I talked about PTSD, but it's not until I was sitting with this guy backstage and he was talking about his PTSD, and I had always, everyone told me I'd had PTSD, but I, I was like, yeah, but I wasn't in a war, I just did a TV show. Right. And then all of a sudden he's talking about showers in the morning, and I was like, oh wait, I had those showers, and about getting done and the feeling when you get done the day, and you're like, and I was like, I know that feeling, and then the feeling when you... Are losing your shit and I was like oh my god I do have PTSD wow and then so I was like fuck it and it's like it's not like what my podcast is about but it is my podcast is just about me right and and it's my journey or whatever with my friends or the conversations we have the guy sharing conversations with cool people yeah and I just was like fuck it, I'm gonna talk about PTSD because there might be people people who have it who works on an oil rig or whatever yeah and just so they know that like you didn't have to go to the military to have it like you could just be some idiot who got really fucking stressed out over a month of work right. from like some doing some dangerous shit 
and it creeps up and man people are always like oh i'm so like and that's the it's the fun thing about it you know well and, and you know as a songwriter you are basically as a comic i'm assuming you are an observer of life yeah. i mean you have to be and you 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 can't just kind of watch it <coughs> on the periphery and, and and kind of absorb some things you are a real observer of life that's how you connect with people and as a songwriter it's the same thing and um and uh, I find that every single person on this planet is a, a movie waiting to be made, you know? And if you just take some time and talk and, 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 and meet people and I, you know, I mean, meet and greets are one thing, but if you actually stop and take that, and I've always done this with meet and greets, you know, with the exception, and I, I love your explanation of, of the, of the drunk women that come up and just are so ornery and stuff. Oh. Uh, it's crazy. It's, it's the same way in my world as yeah. well. Oh, I but, bet yours is 10 oh, times dude, worse. It's, it's rough. It's rough. That wine breath. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but, but back to my point is that if you just take that extra second and look somebody in the eye and actually have a conversation, listen to even one thing that they say yeah, and process that you become a better person. And, and, and it's I, so it, that as opposed to, Hey, thanks a lot. And right. then just letting them shelf him off. To, I always try to take the extra second as they walk away yeah. and go, Hey, just so you know, thank you very much for coming to my show. Cause yeah. it really does mean a lot to me that someone would take money they earned Oh yeah, sixty bucks is what it'll cost to go for you and your wife to go to my show. Sixty bucks for for some people is their morning. Yeah, you know that's their morning. Yeah, that's them working an entire morning. That's not even drinks. That might be a whole day of work to come see me do stand up. It means a great deal. So I always try to go. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, listen, it, you know, it, you hear you hear artists go, oh well, you know, they're 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 the reason we're here. No, no. They are the reason you're here. Yeah, it's such a bullshit thing when you see people go, I just want to thank my fans, and you go, hang on, do you really know? Yeah. Are like, you really thanking you your fans? Are you really thanking them? Because I really thank them. Like, I right. really... I This year, on new, on Christmas Day, I we had a really great Christmas. Right. And I and I think we were going somewhere. Oh, we were about to go to uh, Utah to go skiing. And I was doing New Year's Eve in whatchamacallit. Then we were going to Utah. Then I was going to Atlanta with my friends to watch the championship game. And then I was going to New York. And then I was going to another place. I was doing a little bit of a tour. Right. And I, my, my pool is done. My house is done. We had a great Christmas. And I know we got a ski trip that we can afford. And I thought, how do I thank? Like, I really am grateful for every single person that bought a ticket. Because all those people gifted me a beautiful year that's right and i was like how do i thank them and not sound cheesy like and not sound like i want to thank the fans because it's not even they're like i had this guy this is the crazy thing i know you probably heard this i've said this before this is one of the most insane things i've ever heard and it fucking blew me away and it's how i feel about life this guy drunk as shit new year's eve shirts off in the meet and greet and they're trying to chef shuffle him out and he's hammered where i'm in west palm and he goes, hold on, hold on. I've got to take a minute with Bert. And I'm like, I'm like, all right. And they're like, sir. And I go, hold on, give him a minute. And he goes, no, no, this is important. Right. And he looks at me, he goes, I am a fan. You need to understand what that means. I am a fan of what you do. When you succeed, that makes me happy. 
Do you understand that? And I said, yeah. And he goes, no, no, no. Think of who you're a fan of and think of what I'm saying. Watching you succeed, watching you get to this level makes me happy. I root for you to succeed. I want you to get bigger. I want you to achieve all the things you want in your life because that will bring me joy. I'm a fan. And I thought to myself, I'm a fan. I'm a fan also. I always came to this business as a fan. Yeah. I'm a fan of Joe Rogan's. When I first met, when I when his podcast blows up the way it is, the numbers he gets, I brag on him to people. Right. I go, he's killing it. Right. He's killing it on his own terms. I'm a fan of that shit. Yeah. I'm a fan of Jim Norton's. I'm a yeah. fan of Jim Norton's. Like, when he has a special, I get excited for him. When it kills, I get happy for him. Right. Like, I'm a fan of Rich Voss's. Like I'm a like I am a legit fan of so much shit that when they I'm a fan of Tiger Woods. When he was lining up that last putt, I was like, "Come on, dude, do this for both dude, of us. I want you to too. be happy." Yeah. In that bazaar, and he said that to me, and I went, "Oh, fan is the right word. If yeah. you're a fan of mine, I'm a fan of yours." Yeah, absolutely. Like, I want your life to be great. Absolutely. It really it, that guy. As drunk as he was, and as all the bouncers were trying to get him out of there, and all his friends were like, bro, you got to go. That was the most meaningful conversation I've ever had. What an awesome moment. What What a great, to put it in perspective, that I, that I, because like people go, I'm a fan of yours. I go, oh yeah, thanks. You know, it didn't mean anything until that moment. And then I was like, no, I'm a fan of a lot of shit. Yeah. That, you know, I just actually, uh, this, this week on my podcast, I decided I'm actually going to have fans on the podcast and it's going to be, I'm just going to be talking with fans Yeah. because again, you know, people's stories are fucking interesting, man. It's the truth. And, and I, I, I've never felt comfortable with that separation between me and them. You know, I've never felt comfortable with it either. I have friends that are very comfortable with it that it makes them uncomfortable to not have the separation yeah i i, I have it to a fault or yeah. i'm like or someone's like hey can i have your phone number i'll be like oh, yeah yeah I guess yeah I, i'm the same I, i'm yeah. i'm not a good rock star a, a, at all i'm i'm i oh. yeah i give up my phone number all the time because if i sit and in, 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 if i meet somebody and i find them interesting of course i want to give him my phone number of course that's how i know halston for christ's sake I met Halston at a show. Yeah. And and, uh, and we just hit it off. And I thought, I really like this guy. I got this message from a fan uh, today. Hey, Bert, I left you weed in Charlotte. <laughs> just remembered that. Did you get my Instagram message? <laughs> oh my That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> By the way, I know this guy because I remember the weed he left. Right. But yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, that is... Uh, yeah, you and Halston met through. You guys were in Vegas. We were in Vegas, and yeah. he saw you, and he's a fan of yours. And he was he has the the t- title of your song tattooed on his wrist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he geeked out, and then didn't even go to the rest of the Papa Roach and concert. There, and there's a lot of guys. By the way, that, fall, I'm, you know how I'm at Halston. He was just walking down the street, and I'm yelling at Isla. I love that. And story. he heard Isla's name and was like Bert Kreischer, and I was like, Yeah. See, I love that story, dude. So many people know where I live because they recognize me on my street. Yeah, the yeah. FedEx guy i walked out yesterday and he's like bert i go what's up <laughs> so many people have dropped off packages at my house and be like oh shit bert what's up i'm like what's up 
Like now, well, now we know where I live. Like, see, but I, I think that's cool. I, I, I think it's cool. I don't. It doesn't bother me now that I have guns. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at. I, I don't know if you've had any any kind of. You know, we were talking about fans and 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 love them all. But I don't know if you've had any that kind of crossed that threshold and and and, and got got dangerous. I, I've had a couple of those. And uh, I mean, I live in a very unassuming house. You know, right on a street. There's no, you know here yeah. in, in in L.A. and it's it's never an issue. And I and and of course when I was living in Nashville, I was in a compound i it was this place was awesome and it was yeah. all gated and stuff and i'll tell you what during that time that i was living there i feel like i i didn't i wasn't connecting with people as an artist i was too removed i was too exclusive yeah. I, I had bought into my own bullshit and and i was believing it i believed i should be in a mansion you know i believed that that all of that stuff and and then it just all kind of dawned on me one day i i i, I realized I don't even know how to write a song that connects with people anymore because I'm so exclusive. I, I've, I've excluded myself from that. Oh, I had an agent one time tell me uh, I was 180 pounds. I was going to spin class every day, and I had a ton of money. And uh, this agent is, he, by the way, I don't, the brilliance of him, sometimes you get brilliance in, in like, and like shit sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy was so good at giving you shit sandwiches, but he just couldn't, he couldn't help it. He was so fucking blunt. His name's Andy Cohen. He runs a big company now. And he goes, uh, I sit down and he goes, oh, I can't wait to see what your next hour is about. Uh, just losing weight and going to spin class, huh? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, having money and just doing nothing. Yeah, you'll relate to a lot of people. And Jeez. I remember going like, oh fuck, I'm not living a life. I'm, and I didn't even know that. I'm living in LA life, going to spin class every day, going for a hike at Runyon Canyon, and not worrying about money. I was Jeez. like, wait, who do I connect with? Right, right. And I was like, oh, fuck. He was, he was, he was awesome. The what, things he would say, we were one time, I had, a, I had a really good showcase. And so for ICM, he worked at ICM. Right. And so that next morning, uh, they took some meetings that they had already planned with other clients that were already set up and they broke them in half and gave me half the meeting and gave the other client half the meeting. Happened to like three clients. One of the clients was Dane. And uh, and Andy Cohen in Sony over in Culver City, Andy Co Dane was a little upset, rightfully so. His meeting that he had scheduled and is now a shorter meeting and right. I got the front half and he got the end half. Right. And... Uh, Dane looked at me and he goes, this isn't about you, Bert. I apologize if it sounds like I'm talking about you. I'm just upset. We've had this meeting on the books for now for like a month and now it's cut in half and he gets half of it and I get half of it and that shouldn't happen. And I'm sitting there and Andy Cohen just goes, what can I tell you? No one wants to hear, hey, Monopoly, flip the board over oh, shit, shit anymore, okay? They want to hear what he's talking about. <laughs> and it, I remember going like, whoa. Like he was just so like, no one wants to hear the blah, 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 blah. And I was like, whoa, this is my agent. He was so funny. He was like, you're never going to book a role. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, you're never going to book a role. He's like, uh, you'll be Bert. Someone will hire Bert, but no one's hiring you to be a fucking actor. Wow. And I was like, and by the way, he was so accurate. I don't know if it was self-fulfilling, if I was like, yeah, and I never auditioned again. Right. But like, it's true. I get hired more as Bert. So sure. like people would rather see Bert than see. I admire that though. I always, I, even though it's a little abrasive and it can be uncomfortable, I always admire people yeah. that, that, that can just be that straightforward, blunt. Like Leanne, Leanne, the, my my family used to say, if you want to feel good about your feelings, ask Bert. If you want the truth, ask Leanne. Ah. The, I, I'll always tell you whatever you want to hear. Oh, that looks great on you. And Leanne's like, oh, I do not like that. And you're like, 
I go, I did a play one time and I got done the play. It was the first play I ever did. I come out of it and I sit, get in the car with Leanne. I go, what did you think? She goes, you are not a good actor. And I was See, like, so, so you're, you're a, because I always think of you as completely unfiltered and very honest yeah. about things, but you're a people pleaser then, aren't you? Oh, hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Hardcore. And I don't like conversation. Yeah. I so get like it. you should listen to the Ashling B conversation I had with I, that Irish comic. You were here. Yeah, dude. I, I, I did listen to that. I actually have, I, I, I was conflicted about that because yeah. she seems lovely. She, she and, is. And, li- and listen, she she made some points that I think were so important uh, because of this bigger discussion we're yeah. having right now about the unfairness of, of how women are treated. But I have to say that I, I take issue with her message because it was... Because I feel that when you're talking about the arts none of those rules can apply anymore. I, yeah. I, 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 and I, I couldn't tell, I, I kind of sensed that you, you pushed back a little bit on it, but I just think that, that when it comes to the arts, we can't put these regulators on it and, and say, you know, um, I, because I personally don't care if you're white, you're black, you're, you're gay, you're straight, you're a woman, you're a man. You made it not because you're a, a, a you, you joke about being white privileged a lot. Yeah. You made it because you're fucking good at what you did and you, you worked the door and you fucking busted your ass and you took a lot of, you know, a, a, a lot of hits for it. And I, just, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but were you, was there ever a time where you were, where other people were pushed aside and you were let in just because you were a, a white male? Uh, I would say no, but I would say, I would say that like there is, there are things I didn't get to say to her in this, in the conversation. I don't like conversation totally. I'd rather have a I good conversation. Yeah. But like I, the, one of the things that is very white privilege is consumers. So like I worked with a black comic. I wish I could remember his name. Kevin something. He's really talented. We were in Chicago. He opened for me. He was older than me and he was destroying and I was having a hard time following him. Right. And then the middle of the weekend, a little frustrated. I think he's, he was a little frustrated. He goes, I don't understand why you're headlining and I'm not. Hmm. Like, why they don't switch it up? I was like, I don't know either. Like, I really... I, I like. And then we kind of broke it down and I realized they, they can't put a, a black man's face on a poster and expect white people to show up. Because white people are conditioned yeah. to go... That black guy is probably a black knight. Right. I don't want to go to that night because they're going right. to single me out. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't, I'm not going to get any of the jokes. So they just don't go. Right. The same way black people don't go to a white guy. Yeah, I understand But like that. they're not. But the, if you're doing business in, a, in Schaumburg where that was, you, you put a white guy's face up and people, white people will go, oh, let's, let's give it a try. Right. And so... I think well, I in think, that in I that, that essence, she had a, I think she obviously she had a point and it's a very real well, it's the same thing happens with a, women you can't put a woman's face up there and move tickets the way you could like a white guy's face see I, I I'm I wasn't aware of that no it's just it's just true but that's not but but my, sh- my thing is this is that you and by the way I mean like a, a, just a woman and a white guy not like Eliza Slash and Jabert Kreischer like just a woman and then a white guy like there are guys still in this world that go i'm not i don't want to see that i'm gonna go see that guy Uh, and so so clubs know that competing i've always just felt like like you you create your art and then eventually the audience votes on it and they vote whether you're good or whether you're bad they vote whether they like you whether they want to hear more of you or whether they don't i guess the part that i'm not getting and this is this is you know i guess what she's saying and, and and it probably is true is that 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 her audience is, isn't even being given a chance to vote because well, no, well she's 
they do vote. They, I, there, there was, there were, in in hindsight, and I think I tried to stand up for this, and I don't think I made my point clear, but the inaccuracies, inaccuracies that are are inherent in that argument is is what I was saying is that. We're, t- we're talking about consumers. We're in a business where the consumer buys the ticket. Right. So if you allow, and you and the club is a privately owned club, and by the way, the the Booker is very cognizant of trying to make Booker's Adam Egot. He is a sweet guy, and he's very cognizant of trying to make it a very broad uh, span of talent throughout an evening. Right. He is extremely cognizant of making sure there are women on the bill. And I think there are a lot of white comics that heard that that then argued to me, this is bullshit because as a white guy, like, and this is a little true, but a a lot of the women that haven't been doing it maybe as long as myself will call and get spots, you know, a little easier, not than me. I, I can get spots whenever I want, but they will get spots easier than a per, a guy at their same level, right? Because right. they're a woman, and that, and I think that is what a lot of male, a lot of male comics, a lot of comics in general, uh, message me after that podcast. And then, and then the other thing that is that is not fair in this argument is, that is was not spoken was that so women once you get to a certain place as a woman, you leapfrog far as fuck. Yeah. So like it's seven years as a comic as a woman, if you are at all competent in your craft and and you get opportunities that a guy would never get at seven years. Right. And that's the reason that it's the reason that people go shit on Amy Schumer is because as a seven year comic, she became the biggest comic in the world. Right. Right. And I mean, she she shouldn't be a guy would that won't happen to a guy right. only because there's so many guys in the business you're never going to be bigger than Chris Rock. Right. But as Amy, you're very quickly the biggest female comic in the world. Right. At, at ten years, Amy was the biggest comic in the world. But she's right. only been doing it ten years. Right. As right. a guy, that would just won't happen. Well, I mean, it I, does I, sometimes, I but it doesn't in that. Uh, and that, it, these are all arguments that all my friends have been emailing me nonstop, and and I wish I had had with Ashling, but. Well, and, and like I said, I mean, listen, I, I, I understand that frustration and and, um, and in the broader spectrum, outside of the arts, this is absolutely a discussion we need to be having because women, yeah. women are incredibly unfairly treated in the corporate world. I mean, across the board. But here's my problem. The arts do not owe anything anybody a career no you're right about you are that. not entitled to a career there in almost every other profession there is a natural progression if you if you learn the trade if you work hard if you improve your skill set you will eventually find your way in that career yeah. the arts just isn't that it never has been that you did not get to where you were going or where you are because you followed this this straight oh, regimen of things neither did thing, i that's the thing that makes most comics the most angry is when they go but you didn't pay your dues and you're like no 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 it's not about it's not just about paying dues. Sometimes, in the arts, talent or 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 the th- the it factor just leapfrogs. It Absolutely. just leapfrogs. Look at Gerard Gerard Carmichael. Right. He's a young comic, and all of a sudden, Spike yeah. Lee likes him, and 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 it, he does his thing, and everyone falls in love with the guy. Is it unfair? Absolutely. Yeah, is, is it, it un- unjust? Yeah. Absolutely. Is it frustrating? Adam Absolutely. Devine. Adam Devine wrote uh, Workaholics with his friends. Right. Shot a couple of them. 
Comedy Central bought it, everyone fell in love with it. Yeah. Is it fair that that Adam, you know, probably isn't as he's at he's bigger than Bill Burr as a movie star, right? But Bill's a, is it fair? No, but it doesn't fucking matter, you right? Know? And I and again, I just want to make that clear so that you know people don't start lambasting me oh, for for saying that. They but, won't on my podcast. But, but, like, there but were a lot truly, of sided with. Truly, I just I, I firmly believe that that we are so fucking lucky to yeah. be able to do what we want to do. It is luck, dude. Yes, we both have to have skills, but it is luck that we are here doing this. We just got fucking lucky. Nobody oh, owed it to us. Yes, I feel lucky. I'm the luckiest man in the fucking world. Me too. I am definitely. Well, now I feel like you got to have me on your podcast. Please. Like, I would love to come on your podcast. How long have we gone, Halston? Uh, Twenty. that's perfect that's longest perfect. podcast i've ever done that's right. oh really <laughs> yeah you know it was funny the first one i did was like an hour and 10 minutes and and uh it felt like four hours so oh, i was yeah. like how, how, how long Halston? an uh, hour and 10 minutes like jesus this is gonna be rough <laughs> oh we've had some that have been that, like that where i'm like how much and he's like 59 minutes and i'm like huh so what was your mom like <laughs> well dude th- th- thank you so much for having me on. no it's i funny. appreciate I, it it's been a great conversation I, I really have loved this i'm interested to see what dan adler thinks because he always tells me he'll like uh, I didn't like that one. It was too much comedy. And this one, I think he's going to be like, oh, I love that conversation. Oh, good. Um, so but I appreciate you doing this. And the name of your podcast is? It's Jamcast, the James Michael podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's where Jamcast came from. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Because well, I, I listened to the intro music and I was like, and Leanne was singing it along with it. Yeah. And I was like, yes. how do you that's, know? That's Halston on there going, Cha Jamcast. Really? Halston. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the last thing I'll say is what, here's what I want to do. I want to come on your podcast. I want to do an interactive podcast where we write my Jimmy Buffett album Dude. and, and, uh, and that will be the next phase of my career is just doing Jimmy Buffett shows. Let's right? do it. Where I write songs that are based off of things that are like, uh, like we'll have one song, one more Tito's and soda, please. Dude, I do the <laughs> podcast in my recording studio. So we'll, we'll be all set up and ready to go. We'll start tracking that shit as we, as we do I'm it. done drinking. I think I'll eat an edible is one of my songs. <laughs> I love it. I, love I it. carry minis in my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> These are my song album titles. Oh my god! <laughs> and they're just for my fans of drinking. Uh, uh, well, I appreciate you doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you. It's very been a much, blast. Man. Yeah, likewise. And Halston, way to not chime in at all. He didn't say a word. I don't like to talk much. I heard Halston on your first episode. Uh, and he was such a douche in one part. Like he oh. goes, he goes, uh, you know, as I think day to day, like you were, you were so, a, <laughs> a, you were so a musician, <laughs> you were so a musician. I was like, Oh, I don't get that side of him at all. I don't get that. <laughs> I think, I think I was nervous the first podcast a little bit for sure. Were you? Uh, yeah. You, you know, it's kind of a big deal. Oh, it made podcast. me laugh so hard. I listened to it over and over, you know, as the days go on, <laughs> I think as you said, as the days go on day to day, Oh my right. God, I, know I just threw it to him like yeah. for, a, for a quick little quip uh, and there's like, well, it all began. It, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the more you do these, the more fun they are. And the more you become more relaxed. Like yeah. I was horrible at the first, but when Halston said that I started laughing so fucking hard, <laughs> I must've played it over five times. Cause it's Halston going as the days go on day to day. I know it exactly what you're talking about. He was talking about different sounds of, of bands or something. And I was like, Oh, as the days go on, I find myself pulling away from certain bands and sounds. <laughs> you know what? You know, what's awesome. Like, he's oh. turning into a little bit of a rock star. He's getting, he's getting a pretty big following. 
following on social media because he keeps popping up on the podcast and and some of my fans are starting to well, the, be I will say Austin fans i'll say this wholeheartedly the day you guys started your podcast he came and told us and we got so excited for him because he was like, my life's changing. Yeah, Everything's happening. Yeah. I'm doing another podcast. Listen, like, seriously, he's a fucking inspiration story, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's. I, he's I a man his... who has willed his destiny on accident. You yeah. are you are yeah. a beautiful disaster, Halston. Yeah. <laughs> you have <laughs> walked you. into your Absolutely. careers, literally bumped into them twice. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. literally walking down the street at the right time. Yeah. It, this is the... Uh, if you ever see Halston walking around your city, follow him. <laughs> Absolutely. Because he's him. going someplace. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. Well, thank you again for having me on. It's just, and like I said, you you really are inspiring me in, in a lot of oh, ways. So well, I appreciate uh, it. Well, I can't wait to do your podcast now. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Thank you. Right on. That was fucking great. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.